That's Billy Squire from 1982, Everybody Wants You. One of the more underrated and little talked about musicians from the early 80s, but uh, most people I've spoken to likes his stuff. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Today, July 1st, 2014, we have a lot of topics tonight, so I don't want to waste a lot of time. Before we even get going, this show started as the Druff, Drexel, and Vowels show. That was about two and a half years ago. We lost Vowels first, and then eventually we lost Drexel, though he's still a friend of mine. He just uh, isn't a co-host on this show anymore. He doesn't play much at the World Series, but he decided to play event number 59, the 3000... Omaha event and if you go take a look if you go take a look at the uh, list of the chip leaders on the Omaha high low $3,000 event number 59 in 10th place Dylan Lind in 9th place Tony Merskick John O'Shea number 8 Dan Shack number 7 Brian Brubaker, number six. Eric Crane, also known as Jack's Poker, number five. Ronald McMillan, number four. Chino Ream, number three. Amnon Philippi, number two, with 115K. And how is Brandon Drexel Gerson doing? Brandon Drexel Gerson has 157K chip leader, overwhelming chip leader right now in that event. Amazing. So, good luck to him. We'll be monitoring this throughout the show. And it's not going to end today, so he's not going to win today. Nobody's going to win today. But we're going to be monitoring day two of this event throughout the show. And maybe giving him a call during a break. In uh, two hours. I guess break just ended. So they're coming back from break. He just texted me. So we'll call him around um, 845 Pacific Time. And find out how he's doing. The only way I won't call him is if he has a bad run in these two hours. I won't want to bother him. But as long as he's still in good shape, definitely want to hear from Drexel. And uh, sadly, I'm actually in a secret location right now. I left Vegas, so I can't even come down and rail him. Otherwise, I would be happy to come down if he were to make the final table, or at least get close to it, and cheer him on. But any of you in Vegas right now, uh, you know, definitely come down there if you have the time and give Brandon support, especially if he makes the final table tomorrow. So this will be interesting to see if we can have another bracelet winner here on Poker Fraud Alert. So uh, I know I should have played the ESPN music. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, we have a very big agenda tonight. So... For those of you that hate when I ramble about a certain topic, you'll probably like the show tonight because I'm not going to ramble on and on about any topic because we just won't have time for that. There's just 15 things to cover tonight, not even including Drexel. So I guess it's meant to make 16. So I'm going to try to get all this done without wasting much time. Let me tell you about the free roll tonight or shall I say the lack of free roll. 
Uh, unless somebody donates, and I'm not trying to put pressure on anyone here, but we only have five bucks for the free roll this week. So if we don't have money for it, then it won't go. If it does go, it'll be at 7.40. I've permanently changed the time to 7.40 p.m. Pacific time in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room in order to play the free roll. It is absolutely free to enter. You don't even need play chips. The only thing you need is a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013, or before. Not 2014, but 2013. If you don't have an account on the forum, or if it's dated after June 1st, 2013, then you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks, and convince me of that by telling me things that have occurred on the show that are not in the show descriptions. If you want to reach out and touch me during this show, you can do so in a few ways. First of all, the chat room. I try to read that, but sometimes I don't get to simply because I'm doing the show by myself. But I try to look at the chat room. That's located at the top of the screen. It says chat. You need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to get in there. And you need a flash-capable device, meaning you can't use an iPhone or an iPad to read the chat room. You can also text me. The text phone number is 702-623-1423. 702-623-1423. If you forget that number, just take a look in the thread for the show in the Flying Stupidity Forum. And the phone number will be right there. I have two other phone numbers I want to give you. The main phone number to call into the show is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. There's also the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, Nevada, about 45 minutes away by car. does have snow in the winter and spring. I have an old 70s telephone that sits on top of the mountain. I went to visit the phone, in fact, in April. Some of you saw pictures of that. It forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That's the Mount Charleston line. No matter which number you call, make sure to show your caller ID by dialing star 82 beforehand. If I don't answer the phone, don't call back over and over. Just wait 15 minutes and try again. Well, here's the agenda for tonight. In addition to watching how Brandon Drexel Gerson does. And by the way, he agreed to come on the show. Uh, it is next break, so just have to remember to do it at 8.45. I'm going to give a World Series of Poker update for myself, which is not as positive as Brandon's update, or at least as positive as it's looking for him right now. But I'll give you an, un an update nonetheless, and I'll tell you about my main event coming up. Well, there's a fiasco that occurred at Caesars involving a World Series event. I know you're shocked to hear that because they're known for their smooth operations. Okay, maybe not. But this year they're actually doing a pretty good job with not screwing things up. But it finally happened. They really cannot get through the World Series of Poker without doing something really, really stupid.
And when I say doing something stupid, I mean something that is the decision of management. If one employee does something stupid, like the one who is trying to extort money out of people looking to play single-table satellites, I don't blame the World Series for that because they have thousands of employees. They're not all going to be good. But I do blame them when management makes dumb decisions, and the monster stack was a disaster on day two. Well, it was a disaster on day one, but that wasn't really their fault. But day two, they really did something pretty offensive, and I'll talk about what happened there. Well, you guys know about our bracelet bet with Daniel Negranu and Phil Ivey that both would not win a bracelet this year. We had... $7,500 of Poker Fraud Alert member money on that, including 1000 of my own. We were most worried that one of them would win the one-drop event, which is going on right now, or maybe one of the big buy-in tournaments that get fewer than 150 people, typically. We were not that worried that the bigger field events would produce a bracelet for either of them, but, well, Phil Ivey entered event number 50, and he won. Yeah, 500 people or so, but Phil Ivey bested them all and beat a pretty easy final table to win the event and break our hearts. But was it a good bet? Forget about whether we won or lost, but was it a good bet in theory? I'll give you my opinion, and I'll tell you of of an, uh, an opinion that someone has shared someone that is very well respected in the betting world about this bet and that he didn't like it very much. The one drop tournament's going on right now, the final table. They got 42 entries. Phil Helmuth was noticeably absent. We'll talk a bit about that. And Rick Solomon, you know, Pamela Anderson's husband, the guy who made a Paris Hilton sex tape, he is in the field. And so far, some pretty surprising results for Solomon. Eric Lindgren played the one drop. He did not cash. He's already busted from it. But some people questioned whether Eric Lindgren should have been in the one drop. I'll tell you how he got there and my opinion as to whether he should have played. Well, we've talked about Chad Brown before on this show and his unfortunate situation with cancer. Chad Brown was given an honorary World Series of Poker bracelet, but he is not going to be alive for much longer. He is in hospice care right now. I'll play a little clip of him receiving, or not, he's not physically receiving it, but him uh, being presented with it in absentia of that bracelet, and he is wearing the bracelet right now, by the way. It was uh, sent over to him, and he's wearing it. So we'll talk a bit about Chad Brown and his situation, which is uh, saddening a lot of people in the poker world because he was very well-liked. Someone who is not very well-liked is Michael Borowitz, a.k.a. PSU Mike 1999. It came out last week that despite reporting a pretty embarrassing scam that was going on at the World Series by one of their employees, and despite the fact that his report on that scam was true and correct, that Mike was a scammer himself. Not in that situation, but that he was a scammer 
who would lie to people to trick them into giving him money out of sympathy. That was his big scheme that he was running all over the place, in airports all over the country, hotels, you name it. He'd go in public, try to give you a sob story, and try to scam you. He's been doing this for a very long time, and he has a criminal record. And he came out to 2 Plus 2 and told his life story, which was actually pretty compelling. I don't have a very good opinion of the guy, but he did tell what I believe is mostly a true story. So we'll discuss what he said and how I feel he should be treated at this point now that he's come forward and come clean. Also on 2 Plus 2, another degenerate, but not not a bad person like Mike Borovitz, kind of just the gambling degenerate who lacks self-control kind of category, a guy who calls himself Warm Dick, who definitely lived a pretty exciting existence when he would travel to Las Vegas and other casinos. Actually, most of his exploits occurred in the East Coast, but uh, this was a guy who would do things that you would only expect to see in movies. But he's a real person, and his stories appear to be real. Someone directed him over to this site, and he started posting here, so I asked him, hey, would you like to come on radio? And he said, sure. So we're going to call up Warren Deck tonight and hear some of his stories. See if he has any other stories to tell us that have not been presented on 2 Plus 2. And I'll take questions in the chat room for the guy, too. A lot of times I'm embarrassed to ask people questions that are raised in the chat room if they're too dirty or inappropriate. But this guy, I'll ask anything. You can ask this guy anything, and I'll pass it on to him. He doesn't seem like the type who could be easily offended. Johannes Strassman, who disappeared, he's a high-limit player. He disappeared in the country of Slovenia which, for those of you that don't know, is actually a very safe country. He was found dead by a river. It was suspected that he was not in good shape and very possibly deceased, and it has been confirmed. Johannes Strassmann is no longer with us. He was found dead in Slovenia. Talk a bit about that and what might have happened to him. Jose Canseco. Remember one of the Bash brothers along with Mark McGuire? I mean, like McGuire. Like McGuire, he was abusing steroids, too. But uh, he, he would, would have been a talented player without the roids, honestly. Uh, he's led a pretty controversial life, especially because he was one of the early ones to finger people in baseball for using steroids and write a book about it. He was one of the ones who was speaking out about steroid usage that he did himself as well uh, before a lot of others were speaking out about it. Anyway, he seems to enjoy poker. He's played a handful of tournaments here and there. But he was seen playing a $330 tournament at, not just a tournament, but a satellite to win a seat in a 4K tournament at the lovely establishment in Vegas known as the Stratosphere. (laughs) I have to say that uh, when you think of a famous baseball player, you don't think of him playing satellites in the stratosphere. Now, I brought this up in the forum, and a lot of people gave me a hard time for making fun of Canseco for playing a satellite at the stratosphere. But I will explain why I think that's kind of sad, and why I think that's unfortunately very indicative that uh, Jose Canseco not only blew all his money, which we already knew about, but is still broke. 
The Showboat Atlantic City, which is a Caesars property, is going to close. I'll tell you a little bit about that. Ultimate Poker, they have released new software. Their software was highly criticized when it first came out, when they were first to the legalized Nevada online poker market last year. They have finally released new software, and I'll tell you what features it has, and I'll tell you, they're still not getting it right. They're still not doing what they need to do to be a success, and I'll tell you what I think they should be doing and what they're not doing. Finally, I have an editorial. Or sorry, I have one more thing that's an added topic that I don't have on the official agenda. Uh, There's a player named Sean Drake who made a final table at the World Series. And he had his rail there, about 10 people, wearing T-shirts. These T-shirts said... Something like rape like Drake. Something about rape. Oh, no, no. Play like Drake and rape. That was it. Play like Drake and rape. Yeah. Imagine you're in a final table and you have ten people railing you with rape t-shirts on. Not very smart. So there's some controversy about that. I will give you my opinion as to whether that was bad to do or if everyone's making much ado about nothing. Finally, the editorial. I feel that the World Series of Poker needs to be extended. I think there needs to be eight or nine weeks of the World Series instead of seven. I also feel that the World Series should be split into two properties. I will tell you why I feel this expansion should be done and I think the players will like it, and I think Caesars will like it because they'll make more money. A win-win for everybody, one of those rare cases in life. I'll explain what I think they should do, and I may even propose it formally to them because uh, I think it would really solve a lot of the problems we've been seeing that are pretty difficult to overcome if they don't uh, get another property involved. So that's the agenda for tonight. Free roll starts in 36 minutes, and I still don't have money for it. So I have five bucks, but I'm not going to give that away. So uh, honestly, and I'm not trying to pressure anyone, I'm serious, but honestly, if we don't get uh, some more donated money here, then the free rolls, um, it's not going to happen this week. You can play it for fun, but oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Natural Born Hustler said, Druff, read the fucking chat. Sea God stepped up. So Sea God is Sea Money. Thank you, Sea Money. Our most generous donor to the free roll. Thank you. So we have 50 bucks now. Thank you very much. And we have $5 from, who is it? Someone donated five. Now I'm forgetting who did. Oh, Richard Brody's comb over. Thank you. So we have $55. 30 will be the first prize. 15 will be the second. Five will be for third and fourth. 30, 15, five, and five. Those are our prizes for the free roll this week. Thank you, C-Money. And thank you, Richard Brody's comb over.
So that starts at 740. You have some time to register if you don't have an account there yet. So let's jump into the first topic. Team MLK trying to troll me through private message in the chat. Um, my World Series is not over yet, but it's mostly over. The only thing I have left is, left is the main event. Uh, I kind of did it in three phases. The first phase was playing three no-limit events at the beginning, and I bricked them all and didn't even come close to cashing. $1,500 buy-in for each one. Then I played five more events, including the 1500 Limit Hold'em, where I min-cashed. I hate when people call me during the show like this. Jeez. I think you have my home phone number. You need to know that I'm on this show. I think I'm going to change my home phone number and only give it to people who know not to call during the show. should also turn off the ringer in this room. Anyway. I played the 1500 limit... I min-cashed, which was disappointing. I mean, it was good in one way because I hadn't cashed in the thing since I finished third back in 05. I just, I had like four consecutive years where I was the midday one chip leader and didn't cash. Well, this year I was again the midday one chip leader and min-cashed. So that was disappointing, but better than not cashing. I played the anti-only no-limit tournament and despite a very good start, went up to 17K right away from 4,500. I stopped winning hands, and I had some coolers, and that was that. I got it through about 80% of the field and did not cash. Played the 10K limit along with China Maniac and ran very badly, despite the fact that I had a good starting table. Had some fish, had some semi-donks at the table, but they were all torturing me. They were beating me every hand. I was one of the earlier bust-outs of that tournament, as was China Maniac, who also had a good table, and he was one of the earlier bust-outs, so didn't even come close on that one. Uh, I played a, I played the Monster Stack event, and I'll tell you about what happened there shortly, but didn't get all that far in that one. And I played a $1,500 no-limit event, event number 55, and made it again till about, uh, I don't know, three-quarters of the field gone and busted. So sort of close, but not all that close. So one min cash is all I've had so far. I played eight events, one min cash. Definitely not what I consider a successful World Series. The main event can change all that, of course. Uh, I had a similar World Series in 2010 with just one min cash coming into the main event, and I finished 88th. So now I look back on 2010 and say, wow, it's a pretty good World Series. So main event can change a lot, and we will see what happens. I'm playing on day 1B which is July 6th, and some of you have asked, why day 1B? Why am I doing day 1B instead of 1A or 1C? Well, I talked to other pro players. I asked them, when are you playing and why? And here's what I tend to hear from them. Either I'm playing the first day because I want to get it over with, either I want to make it through, or I want to bust and just leave Las Vegas. I don't want to wait around. So a number of pros like the first day. 
Also, for whatever reason, most people don't like the first day, meaning that even if the sheer number of pros playing on the first day is not that high, there are not that many amateurs on the first day for whatever reason. For every day that the World Series main event goes, for every starting day, there are more and more people each day. So I guarantee 1A will have the fewest, 1B will be the middle, and 1C will have by far the most. That's always the way it is. And back when there were four starting days, it was that same way where A was the least, D was the most, by far. So I think A is still pretty pro-heavy. The percentage of pros in the A field, I think, is pretty high, because a lot of them want to get it over with and then leave. The last day, I don't know why the last day is popular with pros, but it is. That's when it seems like almost every pro I know wants to play on the last day whether it's C, whether it's D, whatever the last day is that year, they always want to play it. They can't really explain why. They just like that day. Universally, they seem to like that day. So, I don't think that's a good starting day. I think that's probably the worst one. So what does that leave? Well, that leaves B this year, because there's only three starting days, and previous years was B and C you could choose from, which I thought were about the same. But uh, this year it's only B, so by default I'm playing B. And I've said it many times before. Table and seat placement is very important in tournaments. Very important. Now you can't control it, but it's very important. So to the extent I can control it by playing the day that I think is going to have the lowest percentage of tough players in it, that's my attempt to get at an easy starting table. So... Maybe I'll have bad luck and end up with a bunch of pros. Maybe they'll have position on me. But I'm hoping that, like the last several years, I'll have a pretty soft starting table. And I really have. For the most part, I've had a number of players at the table that either were dead money and pretty much had no chance, or were very straightforward and easy to read. So I'll be playing on July 6th. So that's my World Series, and I I hope it can have a good end. The only slight positive this year is that I did cash in at least one event. So ten years in a row I have cashed at least one event despite a fairly limited schedule. So let me tell you about the Monster Stack. The Monster Stack is a new event this year, or was a new event this year. What happened is that there were a lot of complaints to the World Series brass that the $1,500 buy-in and $1,000 buy-in no-limit tournaments are not good. They're not good in that you don't start with many chips. In the $1,000 event, you start with 3,000 chips. In the $1,500 event, you start with 4,500 chips. As you can imagine, that's just not very many chips. And within a few hours, the blinds are high enough to where if you have not really chipped up a lot, then you're just pretty short stack compared to the blinds. So people are pretty upset about that, and they have been for a while, that if you just go card dead, or if people at the table won't give you action, that you're just stuck at starting stack, and then you really don't have time to wait for good hands after that. And then you've got to go in with marginal holdings and 
you know, hope you don't run into monsters and hope you don't get sucked out on. And it's just a crappy situation. People go into these events just feeling there's not that much play. And indeed, by the time the dinner break comes, usually more than half the field is gone. And the dinner break's only, you know, six hours into the day. So, for a long time, people, people have been saying, this is the World Series of Poker. This isn't some crappy little tournament at a little side-of-the-road casino. This is the World Series. Why is the structure not good? Why don't we start with more chips at a World Series event? So finally, the World Series said, all right, we will run a deep stack event. Instead of starting you with 4,500 chips for your $1,500 buy-in, we will start you with 15,000 chips. Well, this was met with a lot of excitement. A lot of people were very interested in playing this. So while the typical $1,500 buy-in event that takes place during the week, this one started on a Thursday, would attract, I don't know, 2,000 players or so, typically, give or take a few hundred, they expected about double. They expected about 4,000 because it was a different type of event. It was a monster stack. It was a better structure. It was something a lot of people had been asking for. So they figured they'd probably get about double. They didn't think it would be huge like the Millionaire Maker because it didn't have a guaranteed first prize and it didn't take place on a weekend. So they estimated about 4,000 people. And, you know, that's probably about what I would have guessed. Maybe four, maybe five, but I would not have guessed what actually happened. They didn't get 4,000 or 5,000 people. They didn't get 6,000. They didn't get 7,000. They got 8,000. 8,000 people all starting in one day. There was no day 1A, day 1B. All in one day. They had to physically accommodate 8,000 bodies. These are not rebuys. These are actually 8,000 individuals. They had to physically accommodate in seats with dealers, with chips, in one calendar day at the Rio. They've never done anything like that before. Even the Millionaire Maker this year, which had a field size of about 8,000, a lot of those were re-entries from people who busted from the first flight. So while it was still many thousand they squeezed in that one day, some of them were repeats. So it wasn't quite the same. Second of all, they were expecting it. Last year they weren't expecting it, but this year they are expecting it. So they got prepared for it, for the Millionaire Maker. This they were not prepared for. As a result, they had to make second, third, fourth, and fifth flights for this. They were starting like hours apart from each other. So they ran a second flight starting at 5. They ran another flight at like 7. Another one at like 9 or, or 8.40 or something. Another one at like 9.40. Another one at 10.40. This PM we're talking about. When they start. Well, they kept selling out of the early evening flights. So people who wanted to play this monster stack were actually sitting around some of them all the way until 1040 at night. Now, no one was forcing them to stay. They could have gotten a refund and gone back to wherever they came from. 
But if they wanted to play, a lot of the people had to wait until 1040. Now, I had not planned to play this event because it was conflicting with the $10,000 Limit Hold'em event, which began at 4 o'clock. So this was actually beginning before the Limit Hold'em event at 12. So I played the Limit Hold'em event. I expected to at least make day two, but I didn't come close to day two. Within, I don't know, four hours I was gone. Four and a half hours I think I was gone. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll play the monster stack. Now, usually I'm very against jumping into these tournaments late. I think it's a bad value. Because you start with a normal stack, but you're sitting down with people, many of whom have already run up a big stack, and it's hard to play against these people. It's one thing if everyone starts late with the same stack, but you're just being placed at a table with people who have big stacks. So that doesn't appeal to me. However, because of all these flights they were doing, I could enter one of the later flights and start with the same stack as everyone else. Same 15K we all start with, so nobody has an edge over the other. So I said, all right, I'll play the 1040. Now, I found out also that, interestingly enough, if you start at 1040, they start you on level 6. So it wasn't really that much of a deep stack event for me, or any of the people who started at 1040, because the first five levels, when the blinds are low, were gone. And you're already starting at 100, 200 blinds, 25 ante. But I was like, all right, fine. You know, we're all starting with the same number of chips. So it's fair. may not really be a deep stack for me, but it's not a deep stack for anybody else either who's going to be playing against me. So I bought in. I bought in. I had to wait about what was supposed to be about 45 minutes for it to get going at 10.40. So I'm sitting here waiting... And I'm starting to notice that something looks wrong. There are huge, huge crowds in the hallway. Waiting by the door. Getting bigger and bigger, blocking the hallway. I tried to escape the crowds by walking into the pavilion room. I said, I'll go to the pavilion room and sit down at an empty table or something. Nope. Every table in the pavilion room is full. People are lying down and sitting down on the floor. It looked like a refugee camp. It looked like a place you go when a disaster hits your neighborhood and you have to evacuate. It looked like an evacuation center. People were sleeping. People were sleeping on the floor, in chairs, sitting on the floor. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like this at the Rio. Anywhere I went, it was wall-to-wall people. The parking was horrendous. I, I made the mistake of uh, in between when I busted and uh, and registered for the monster stack, I, I made my mistake of taking my car out and driving somewhere, coming back and finding just the parking in the entire Rio, even the farthest away lots was just pretty much solid. We can't find a spot. The Rio was filled to capacity, especially the tournament area. Well, 1040 came, and they didn't open the doors. What doors am I talking about? Well, the doors to the Brasilia room where we were going to play. There were people playing in the Brasilia room that had just finished at 1040. 1040 was supposed to be the time that 
everybody was finished and was going to bag up their chips and then let the next flight in. So these were like the 12 p.m. players that were finishing at 1040. And then we were able to take their tables and chips and chair. Well, not chips. They bag up their chips, but take the tables and chairs and dealers. Well, even though they did finish at 1040, it was expected to be a very quick turnover process to get it ready for us to come in. No. We had to wait almost another full hour. I think we finally started to play around 11.30. Now, I sat down. I was kind of frustrated. Honestly, I would not have registered for this thing had I known it was going to be that much of a mess. But once I had put in the time waiting, I kind of felt like at the point of no return that I waited all this time. I, I don't want to leave now. So I wasn't angry because I understood it. I understood that they didn't expect the crowds to be like this. And they did their best to accommodate it. And the tournament director, Jack Effel, was actually personally overseeing the whole process and making sure it was running smoothly. Under the circumstances, while I still think they could have prepared better for this, under the circumstances, since it was a lot more than anyone expected to show up, I thought they did a pretty good job accommodating everyone. Even if they didn't make all their commitments for when the tournaments would start, where it start, or they had to tell people that their flight, they actually couldn't get into that, and they'd have to wait till the next one. Like there was a lot of inconvenience involved, a lot of people's time got wasted. It was frustrating for both employees and players, but it was a bad situation that I felt the World Series made the best of. So I was not angry at them, and. I couldn't really get anything going at the tournament. I finished with 10K of the 15 I started with, which isn't what I wanted. I needed to chip up because uh, coming into the next day, the average was about 30 because about 4,000 people came back from all the flights combined for day two. Since 8,000 entered, that meant that the average stack was double starting stack at 30. So I had to go up from 10 to 30 to get to average. So I needed some luck. So day two was starting at 3 o'clock. I looked at my slip they gave me for the day two table. It said table 268. I said, okay. Well, I didn't really think about this till it was time to go down and play. But I go, wait a minute. Table 268, where? I know it's 268, but which room? The pavilion room? The Amazon room? The Brasilia room? Which, uh, Buzio's? I mean, it could be any of these rooms. Where is table 268? So I thought that's very odd. Why didn't they put that on here? So I walked down there hoping that someone could solve this for me. And fortunately, I ran into a number of very well-placed signs that clearly explained where to go depending on what table number you were. I mean, honestly, it was a boneheaded mistake. They should have specified this at the time they gave out these slips. But hey, at least they realized the mistake and had something prepared for everyone coming. So still, I was like, okay, I'm just happy they did this right and uh, and fixed their mistake. So I see, okay, 268, the pavilion room. I stroll myself into the pavilion room with about five minutes to spare before the restart. Go to table number 268. And there's a cash game running there. What? How is there a cash game running at the table 
where I'm supposed to start day two of this tournament. So at first I think maybe I'm a moron. Maybe I'm just reading the the slip wrong. Maybe it isn't 268. I, I look down, no, it's 268. I asked the dealer, hey, isn't this uh, for day two of the monster stack? Uh, uh, no, this is, this is, uh, this is cash. I go back and double check that 268 really in the pavilion room. Yes, it is, it says. I, I'm looking there and I'm seeing what looks like about 10 cash tables running, kind of like just smack there in the middle of all the tournament tables. I'm like, oh, this is lovely. So like almost everybody in the room has their seat, but there's like 10 tables of which mine is one of them that are assigned to cash games. So I didn't know what this was. So I... I'm trying to figure out what to do. By now, it's like about a minute or two from starting, and I have a 10K stack. I need every hand I can get. So I don't want to miss a single hand. So I'm starting to panic here. So I'm running around trying to find a floor man. I cannot find a floor man. Finally, I find one. Explain to him what's going on. And I said, where do I go? What do I do? Why is my table cash? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> he had no idea He didn't know this was even going on So I said well you gotta give me some direction here I, I've gotta know what to do I do not want to miss hands here I'm gonna be really mad Well right around this time Others spotted me speaking to the floor man And others ran up with the exact same issue That they had cash games running at their table And they didn't know where to go Well he still couldn't direct us anywhere He still had no clue Until someone one of the people running up to the floor man along with me looked and said, hey, look up over at that stage. I see some floor men up there. And it looks like they might be holding bags of chips. So we all walked over there and we found like three or four lines of people holding their little slips saying what table they're going to. I didn't understand what this line was for. I said, uh, excuse me, can you tell me what is this line for and what's the line next to us for? Like, what line should I be in? I'm asking another player. And the player says to me, I have no clue. I just came over here because there's a cash game running at my table and uh, saw everyone in line here. And uh, so here I am. You know, so is everybody else here that we're all here for the same thing. So I say, wait, so these lines are, you don't know what you're lining up for? No. So I'm, I'm asking around. Nobody has any clue. I'm waiting for like five more minutes. There's no announcement. At least they haven't started the tournament yet. At least the tournament has not started. But they have not announced to any of the players. Keep in mind, we're like 10 tables worth. We're like 100 people. The remaining 3,900 or so were at their tables. They're sitting here waiting to start. And now it's like 3.05 and the tournament has not started. And they're not giving anyone information as to what's happening. So everyone's just sitting there going, what the hell? Why isn't this getting going? So finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. I shouted from the line up to the stage. I shouted, what's going on here? Why are we in line? Why are there cash games at our tables? What are we supposed to do? What are we in line for? How are you going to solve this? So the floor man shouts back down to me. Actually, you're not in line. This isn't a line. This is just where everyone's supposed to stand. We're going to reassign your tables shortly. And then he walks off. That still didn't give very much information. But at least, at least I thought, okay, 
they're not going to start the tournament. At least I'm not going to miss hands, but this is still pretty ridiculous. So we're standing, 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 still with no information. Very noisy in the room, obviously, because nobody's playing yet. It's, you know, everyone's just kind of talking to pass the time. I did get to meet a listener of this show, Leo Wolpert, who's a fellow poker pro. I guess he listens every week, and he approached me. He was one of those people stuck like I was, and he told me that he enjoys this show. So hello to you, Leo. So then I start hearing, Table 191, come over here. Table 191, come over here. But they're not announcing this over the loudspeaker. Uh, They're just kind of saying it in a loud tone of voice. Hoping people hear. So if you're table 191 and you got you know, a cash game at your table and you're trying to see where to go, if you can't hear the floor man shouting table 191 without a microphone, then you're out of luck. So now I'm starting to get worried maybe I didn't hear 268 being called and I can't find anyone else around there who has 268. So I, I make my way to the front. And I say to the guys on stage, and by the way, I notice uh, Jack Effel is up there. So Jack Effel can't even blame his underlings for screwing this up. He's up there. He's managing this whole thing. But I say to one of the floor men, what am I supposed to do? When is 268 going to be called? Has it been called yet? He says, oh, wait a minute. You're, uh, you're Whittles, right? And, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Whittles. <laughs> says, Hold on, Whittles. Let me go look up... Uh, where your bag is. So he comes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I found your bag, Whittles. Don't worry. Uh, we're going to call you. Uh, just wait there. So I'm waiting and waiting. Uh, they decided to change their approach at some point to not call by table, but just to go through the bags and call by name and give people a new seat assignment. So they finally called Whittles. I came up there. They handed me my bag and my new seat assignment. I noticed that I was now in seat 6 at my new table, whereas my original table I was seat 10, and the reason that's significant is that seat 10 starts with the button, so I pretty much lost four free hands thanks to this, four very needed free hands. So I go sit down, and I still notice there's a large number of people who have not been reassigned yet. So I have some time, once I'm back at my table, to talk to the other people there and explain what's going on. But I'm, I'm curious to see if any of them know. So I get to the table that I've been assigned to, sit down, and I ask them, it's now 3.20, it's now been 20 minutes. I asked, do any of you have any idea what you've been waiting for? Do you have any idea why it's 20 minutes late and they've not started? Everybody at the table said no. Nobody had any idea. I said, would you believe that we've all been waiting, 4,000 people have been waiting 20 plus minutes because they don't want to close 10 cash games that are running? And that was basically the reaction from the table. They were furious. The table was furious about this, that they were wasting their time waiting because 10 cash games could not be closed. That's all they had running, like 10 cash games. So all they had to do was go to the cash games and say, okay, sorry, at 3 o'clock we're closing this. At 3 o'clock these cash games will cease to operate because we need to run day two of the monster stack here. Sorry about that. Goodbye. 
They didn't do it. They didn't do it because they were greedy. They wanted the rake from these cash games, and they noticed that they had enough open seats at the existing tables to reassign about 100 or so players. So probably at the last minute they decided, hey, we don't want to close down these 10 tables. Why should we cost ourselves money like this? Why should we give up the rake that these cash tables are going to generate? How greedy was that? How stupid was that? By the time we got going, it was 25 or more minutes late. So we had 4,000 people, 4,000 people all sitting and twiddling their thumbs for 25 minutes because Caesars had to run 10 cash games because Caesars couldn't close the 10 cash games. Now, I know there's some of you who might say, hey, cash games are important too. How dare you say that they should close the cash games just because you want to play a tournament? Well, they do that. They closed the cash games the day before. Every time they have a tournament coming up that is going to take up a lot of room, take up a lot of space, they close every single cash table. They close the entire cash section, cash section and say, sorry, come back later, come back in a few hours when we have the space. They've been doing that for the last several years, and it's the right thing to do because the priority should always be the World Series of Poker bracelet events because that's what it's about. It's not the World Series of cash games. It's the World Series of Poker bracelet tournaments. So they were so greedy to rake these 10 cash games that they made 4,000 people wait, wait a needless 25 minutes and didn't communicate well so those hundred or so people who got reassigned, myself included, were walking around in a panic, not knowing where to go, what to do, and and thinking that uh, at any moment, wherever we're supposed to be, it's going to start and our chips are going to get blinded off. What a freaking disaster. Very callous, very greedy. Close the damn cash games. Why create pandemonium there with reassigning people, with making 4,000 people sit on their ass and wait for 25 minutes for 10 cash games? 4,000 people have to wait for this? Unbelievable. So I was happy with the way the World Series had been run up until then, but that was a big gaffe, and Jack Effel has no one but himself to blame because he was the one overseeing this whole thing. The day before, I was thinking, wow, Jack, he, he worked a long day personally overseeing, squeezing all 8,000 people in. And I said, he did a great job. May not have done the best job preparing, but he did a great job with working in contingency plans. But boy, did they blow it the next day. And let me tell you, they're so bad with the communication of the World Series. They've always been terrible. When something changes, when something's out of the ordinary, they are the worst at communicating to people. It's always been like that. Okay, rant over on that one. So, speaking of bracelet events, Phil Ivey won a bracelet. Phil Ivey 
won his 10th bracelet, and most importantly, he won the bracelet bet that many people, myself included, had against him and Negranu. As I've been monitoring this situation for the last few weeks on this show, the events I was most worried about were the small field events, the one drop, which is currently going on right now, the 10K and above buy-in events that were typically attracting 150 or fewer people. And there were some close calls, but every time Negranu and Ivy, mostly Negranu, were running deep but not quite getting there. The events I didn't worry about were the big field ones, the ones that had like you know 500 or more people. I didn't really worry. I thought some fluke could happen to where they'd win one of those, but that was not really cause for concern. Well, unfortunately, event number 50, which was... Uh, What was that exact event? It was uh, it was some sort of mix event. Oh yeah, it was the, it's the eight game mix. That's what it was. The fifteen hundred eight game mix. Phil Ivy won it with almost five hundred players. Uh, Ivy and Negranu both made it deep in that one, which was already concerning, and they both had a lot of chips. Negranu eventually petered out, but um, Ivy had a lot of chips the whole way. And unfortunately, Ivy was up against a number of players who really were not um, all that much competition for him. At the big buy-in events, the 10K or more, the good thing about those events is the final table is typically stacked at those events. You're usually not getting many mediocre players at the final table of those 10K and higher events. So these guys will all give Ivy a run for his money, but at this this event, they really had uh, kind of a motley crew facing Ivy. And we knew it would take some luck on our part to have Ivy not win this one. So Phil Ivy, um, the only one it seemed like he and his friends were worried about was Dan Highmiller, who was kind of sticking around with a short stack for a long time. And it was thought that if Highmiller gets some chips, which he did very briefly, but then lost them back, but if he gets some chips, then he could be very dangerous and he could be someone who could give Ivy a hard time. Highmiller is a experienced player, he's a good tournament player, he's someone who who has a style that, that could give Ivy some trouble. Ivy's still a better player than he is, but he's someone who it wouldn't be that surprising to beat Ivy. The rest of them, including the guy that Ivy faced heads up named Bruce Yamron, I mean, Bruce Yamron was like an old nit, which is a terrible style to be facing a guy like Ivy. Uh, and, and the rest of them, it was really a bunch of uh, no-namers, and not even like really, really good no-namers. They just weren't in Ivy's class. They weren't even close. And sure enough, he won. It's not known how much money was bet with them. The offer was that you can bet them anything from $5,000 minimum to 
$1 million. So they actually would have booked multiple million-dollar bets. I don't know how many bets were booked with them, but I think it was a lot. So I I know that Ivy won far, far, far more than his prize money, which is like 200 k here. I think less than 200 k But he won uh, a lot of money, and I heard that he was actually booking most of the action, that even though the bet was with both him and Negranu, that he was actually carrying most of the action. So... Ivy made a lot of money from that bracelet. The funny thing was, and I announced it last week, Ivy had decided that he really wasn't that into the World Series this year and he was only going to play the big buy-in events. He was just going to concentrate on cash and he was going to skip events like this. But somehow he decided to play this one. He didn't name this event that he's going to skip it, but he said he's going to just stick to the big buy-ins. And this was a $1,500 event. But I guess because it was mixed, he decided to give it a shot. And he won. Now, Haralabob Vulgaris tweeted afterwards that we were all suckers. That he would have put the line at about minus 200, which meant it should have been a 2-to-1 bet, not an even money bet, that either of them was going to win a bracelet. And that we were all fools. Now, Haralabob Vulgaris is known as one of the best sports bettors in the world, so it's hard not to respect what he has to say. But I disagree. I disagree because his calculations came from what he believed to be the edge that Ivy and Negranu had over the typical player in the field. Now, there's no doubt that Ivy and Negranu are both excellent tournament players. But most people felt that their overwhelming chance to win a bracelet was in these small field events, which so far they have not done. And that ones like this, the eight-game mix, $1,500 buy-in with 500 people, these were considered an outside shot. And this is what he ended up winning. So, so far... Ivy and Negranu have not won a bracelet in the events that everyone was worried that they might win one. That they actually, Ivy kind of fluked into a win in a fairly large field event. But the question is, regardless of what happened, regardless if he won it in an unusual way and in the way he was expected to win, did not win, he still won. And the question is, forgetting the actual results, in theory, was this a good bet? And I don't know, but I know it wasn't minus 200. I think that Haralabob was overestimating their skill against other top players. Now, I'll admit that Ivy has a huge edge over inexperienced nobodies at the final table. But I don't think he has a huge edge over other top players who are entering and final tabling these big buy-in events. So I think his edge was being vastly overrated by Haralabob, who doesn't realize how good a lot of the competition is in the events where he's expected to possibly win, he or Negrani.
But who knows? I, I thought it was going to be a close one either way, and uh, it fell the wrong way, and just strangely enough, it fell the wrong way, but not in the manner we were expecting. So we lost, and that's unfortunate, especially given how far we got. This is event number 50 out of 65. So once it got past 49 events and they had not won yet, even though the one drop had not taken place yet, uh, we were an overwhelming favor to win at that point. I think even uh, Haralabob would have agreed on that. So let me uh, give an update here, speaking of the World Series. So we are going to take a look first at event number 59, Omaha High Low. Vanessa Selbst, who started at Brandon's table, is gone. Brandon Gerson is still listed as the chip leader with the same chip stack, but it makes me think they haven't updated it. Same 157Ks. Either he's really spun his wheels and just stayed exactly the same. I'm going to text him and ask him for his chip stack because Poker News is not reporting on him. I don't know why they're not reporting on him. He's the chip leader. Anyway, still shows him at 157. Chino Reem has moved up to 148. Sergey Rybachenko with 133. Joseph Steers with 119. Amnon Philippi, 115. So... Keep in mind, a lot of this may not be updated properly, but technically it still shows he's the chip leader at the moment. And uh, taking a look at how many people are left in this event, 71 out of 457 remain. So they haven't even cashed yet. So long way to go for Brandon, but good luck to him. I hope he uh, hope he wins. And there are pictures of him on Poker News you can go take a look of, if, look at if you want to see what... Brandon looks like these days. Taking a look at another event that's been going on. The one drop. Remember we were just talking about the one drop and whether Negranu or Ivy would win it. That was their best chance to win. If one of the events we were worried about them winning, this was the one we were most worried and would one of them do it? Well, it looks like maybe Ivy's win will end up being a moot point because I have another update to give you about the one drop. So got down to the final eight, all of whom cash. Remember they uh, bought in for... One million dollars. So these caches are going to sound really good, but you have to subtract a million from them, and that's the profit they made. Carrie Katz cashed at 1.3 million. Paul Newey cashed at 1.4 million. Scott Seaver cashed in sixth place at 1.68 million. Tobias Renkemeyer ended up making about a million bucks with 2.053 million. Rick Solomon, who we'll talk about in a bit. Yes, that is the Rick Solomon of the sex tape currently married to Pamela Anderson for the second time, 2.8 million in fourth place. Christoph Vogelsang, 4.48 million in third place. We have two remaining people. Daniel Coleman, I don't even know who that is, 
and Daniel Negreanu with essentially even stacks, right around 60. Actually, Negreanu has 68 million and Coleman has 58 million, but very close, 68 to 58. So Negreanu may win this. Amazing. I think if Negreanu wins this, and we have had two winners in a row from Choice Center, the last one being Antonio from two years ago, Remember, they didn't have this version of the event last year. It was only 100 k buy-in last year. If we have Antonio and then Negranu winning this back-to-back years, I have to say that Choice Center will probably get some new people signing up, if not just to improve their poker game. This is going to be a huge boost for Choice Center. And boy, is Negranu going to rub this in people's faces that Choice Center did it for him. Because he's had a great series. Negreanu has been hit and miss with the World Series. Some years he's been great, and other years he just uh, really airballed it. But uh, this year he's run deep so many times. Finished second already. Now here he's guaranteed to finish second. Uh, I don't know how much of his own money he put up, but uh, he's guaranteed to cash $8.28 million minimum. The top prize is $15.3 million. So Negreanu really on his game recently. So if he wins here, I'm glad I don't have to sweat this one. <laughs> That's the one good thing about Ivy already winning is no sweat for this one. So let's talk about the one drop a little bit. Let's talk about the one drop a little bit. Um, there was a notable absence from the One Drop event. A very successful poker player. A poker player who was also very successful investing in an online poker company that made a lot of money despite cheating people. A guy who likes to brag about that he's the best there is, that he would never lose if there was no luck in poker. Yes, we're talking about Phil Helmuth. Phil Helmuth Jr. did not enter the one drop. Phil Helmuth was trying to sell pieces of himself at 1.3 markup, which I think is ridiculous because uh, there's enough talented players in this field where I don't think anyone's deserving of 1.3 markup, but Regardless, that's what he did. So he was trying to sell pieces of himself at 1.3 markup and claimed that he had sold enough and that he was going to play. And then at the last minute tweeted that he's not going to play because he claimed he showed up to the cage and 130,000 he was expecting to be there was not there. (laughs) I mean, this is Phil Helmuth we're talking about. This guy made so much from his ownership in UB. And yes, he did have ownership in UB. This guy has made so much in endorsements and everything else over the years. And he's made a lot of money in poker. And he's skipping this because of 130k? I I don't think I really believe that. I think he just didn't sell enough and is uh I, I think he just didn't want to waste a million dollars on this. I think he just didn't collect enough. But whatever. Uh Phil Helmuth was absent. No Phil Helmuth in this event. 
As I mentioned on last week's show, Eric Seidel talked about how his, quote, backers had some issues, and he was trying to raise 700000 to play in this event. He claimed that he wanted to raise a minimum of seven hundred k to end up playing. Uh, he did, or I, uh, he played at least. I don't know how much he raised, but he did play and did not cash. So who are these backers? Now, I think, I have a feeling and I've heard rumors that the backer was Guy Le Liberté himself, the one who owned Cirque du Soleil, the one who set the whole one-drop tournament and charity up in the first place, that he was staking a lot of the pro players to play in it to make it interesting. But I heard rumblings that Guy Le Liberté wasn't staking many this year, perhaps because he was angry at the poker community for what he feels was cheating him on full tilt poker. He claimed there was collusion against him. So maybe this made him less likely to stake people. This made him less generous toward poker players. Now, Phil Hellmuth was not involved with full tilt where he thought he was cheated. But maybe he was one of the people who experienced the fallout from that. I'm just guessing and theorizing here. Eric Seidel, of course, is very associated with Full Tilt, and that would somewhat explain, if it was Guy who was planning to put him in, why Eric ended up not being put in by this, quote, backer. So anyway, they only got 42 people this year. It was considered a disappointment. It was fewer than last year, or the last time two years ago. And they were really hoping to sell out at their capacity of 56. So they didn't even come close. They only got 42. Could not even pay a full final table. They only paid eight spots, which was still almost 20% of the field, which is why the bottom spot only got 1.3 million back uh, when they entered a million. So, you know, the eighth place finisher made 300,000 on a million dollar buy-in, which is pretty low considering how much they put up. Now, an interesting person who did play was Rick Solomon. Rick Solomon is known for a few things. He's known for being married twice to Pamela Anderson, first in 2007, and then again in 2014. And he was also known for the Paris Hilton sex tape. So, Rick Solomon did have an interest in poker, and he is known to play high-stakes cash games like the private games with people like Toby Maguire. But nobody expected him to put up a million dollars to enter this event. I've been asking around as to where he got the million dollars to enter. Did he really have a million from playing these high-stakes games, or... Is he being backed by someone or some company? And I didn't really get a direct answer, but on the Poker Fraudler forum, A Brown 83 claimed it had to do with 888. He just said 888. So I said, what do you mean? Is 888.com putting him in? 
And he said, A. Brown says to me, no, you think small time, think bigger. So I don't know what he's talking about. 888. So... I don't know what to say. I, I then I see A. Brown is kind of implying that he had some investment in eight 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 at some point. I, I don't know. But whatever, uh Rick Solomon not only entered the one drop, but he finished in fourth place. Which is pretty good for a guy uh who wouldn't be expected to beat out all these pros here. Now I guess he has been playing high stakes poker, but still Playing high-stakes poker against a bunch of Hollywood fish in private home games is different than playing against some of the best players in the world in the one-drop. But, you know, Rick Solomon, he probably isn't too bad if he finished fourth in this field. I have an update for you. The update is not about Daniel Negreanu or the one drop. It's about Brandon Drexel Gerson, who has personally reported to me that he has 185,000 chips in event number 59, Omaha High Low, which I still have to think is the chip lead. So good job, Brandon. We will be calling you in about 45 minutes or so. And I hope you still have plenty of chips at that point. So I'm going to break up this WSOP uh, discussion and I'm going to put on Warm Dick and do our little interview with him. I don't know how late he's staying up, but uh, I don't want to keep him up too late. He doesn't seem like the type of guy who goes to bed early, but uh, I don't want to make him wait any longer and I I think this will be a good interview to break up the monotony of all the World Series talk. So we're going to give him a call. Gee, I, I told him I would... I should actually text him first, make sure he can... Uh, I promised I'd do that. I, I kind of want to just call him. I kind of want to just call him and break my promise to text him. But I will text him first. And I will... Uh, He's on the East Coast. So ask him if he's ready. And if he is, then we will do it. In the meantime, let me take a look at the chat room. I don't see Warm Deck typing in there. For some reason, it's showing the text is not going through. Danzo saying, Druff, you're a piece of shit. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Fatman548 is putting a condom on his computer for this upcoming interview. I don't blame him. You know, I can't reach this guy in text, so I'm just going to have to call him. And if he's pissed off, he's pissed off. (laughs) The text is just not going through. Maybe that's why I'm not getting your texts. 
Ah, I liked it better when I could get texts on the main phone number. Verizon ring back tone while your party is reached. Ah, there we go. This is not the ringtone I would expect for one deck. Yes, is this Warm Dick? Yes, this is him. Yeah, hi. So, um, yeah, I see I wasn't getting texts for, for whatever reason. Uh, my text program was broken. I think I just restarted and it. it's working. But uh, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And uh, I'm glad you answered the phone, even though I, I wasn't able to text you like I promised. And, I think uh, you just did, right? No? I, I texted you, no. and it, I guess it did go through, but to me it showed me it didn't go through. So. I just did you um did you get my uh, private message about uh, Paul Darden? I did not. Uh, do you want me to go? Uh, I I just seen I just seen him in a lounge at the casino. I thought it would have been funny to get him on the phone, but uh, you didn't answer me. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I would have been happy to talk to him, but uh, that's fine. We will uh, talk to you because you definitely All have right, some fine, interesting yeah. stories. Now, uh, are are you? Would you prefer that I refer to you as Warm Deck, or would you like me to call you by a first name? What would you like me to do? No, Warm Deck's fine. Warm Deck's fine, okay. And uh, I won't tell people where you live. You live on the East Coast, which I know you've made pretty clear from your uh, posts anyway. And Yeah, uh, they should have an idea. Yeah, so you posted a number of stories on the 2 Plus 2 forums, which I think can be best described as degenerate stories, stories about degenerate gambling, uh, stories about cheating on your girlfriend, uh, a lot of stories about behaviors that uh, I can't say are uh, necessarily uh, morally correct. Yeah, morally correct behaviors, but behaviors that uh, a lot of people enjoy reading about. Like a lot of people have said that the stories you've told, if these were in a movie, they would find it an entertaining movie. These are things like entertaining things people want to read, even if this is stuff they wouldn't do themselves. So um, mm-hmm. I-, I wouldn't put you on here if you were going to be coming on to brag about you know scamming people and ripping people off because that's that's a different story i wouldn't want to glorify that on this show but uh, your stories are of a different variety i think the 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 worst you did in these stories was cheat on your girlfriend and uh the worst i did was what i i said of the stories i read i thought i don't i don't don't think you read them correctly (laughs) oh maybe i maybe i didn't read them all then because i i read some of them but i didn't get to read them oh that's good though you can uh it'll be new to me then too i i read some of them but uh or maybe i take cheating a new girlfriend more seriously than other do but that's okay um oh no i thought i'm sorry i misheard you i thought you said i thought you said no no i misheard you okay okay then we're in the same page here so all right so um people were so interested in your stories that, of course, people were uh, skeptical at first, but you actually posted various pictures and other things that proved that what you were saying was, was likely correct. Like, you didn't have verification for everything you said, but you proved enough of your stories with uh, pictures and, and other stuff that the general consensus is that you were telling the truth and you're really relaying actual events in your life that were actually so interesting that people read it and said, hey, this would make a great movie, all these things. Uh, so I, I, I kind of saw your life, in fact, as kind of like, almost like an indie film where you have this, these characters that kind of just uh, meander through life and just kind of get themselves in weird and comical situations over and over without that much of like a direct plot. That's kind of the movie I'd be picturing of your life. But yeah. someone brought my attention and Poker Fraud Alert's attention to your stories – 
on the forum, and someone just kind of took a shot and said, hey, come over to Poker Fraud Alert. You know, we appreciate you over here. And this forum's not censored at all like 2 plus 2 is. And I didn't expect you to come, but you, lo and behold, showed up. So I, I thought that it would be great to have you on this show to tell some of your stories and also take some questions from the chat room. And I told the chat room, I will ask anything that they want to ask you. I, I don't think you're very easily offended. Yeah, I'm pretty open. Yeah, so except uh, you probably won't want to give out like personal information or things that can allow people to know there, who you yeah, are. Yeah, there's certain things that I want to draw the line at, but um, for the most part, obviously, anybody who's read the thread can see that I'm uh, giving away a lot of information that I probably shouldn't have. But yeah, so I'm open to a lot. So I don't want to like do most of the talking on this interview because people are people wanted to hear you and not me in this segment. But uh, just some quick questions, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, tell us some things. Uh, how old are you? 30. 30, okay. And uh, at what point in your life, how old were you when you started doing these uh, degenerate things, we'll describe them? What? How old were you when this all started? Um, I don't know, 16 maybe? What, 16? <laughs> You've been at it a long time. <laughs> as far as gambling, gambling was obviously 21, um, you know, as far as gambling-wise. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, up until when you posted on Two Plus Two, did you think that uh, your stories were unusual for the typical person there, or did you just think kind of like most people live this way? No, not at all. Um, I think um, a lot of people thought my stories were amusing. Um, uh, yeah, everybody got a kick out of my stories. Whatever I was doing, they thought was been uh, normal. But um, it's kind of like I uh, I read stories on Two Plus Two about other degenerate stories, and I thought to myself, you know, I want to contribute at one point. Yeah. Okay, so you see, you figure you can probably top them even with some of your stories. So, well, no, 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 not even necessarily topping them, but I just, I just said to myself, uh, you know, I got some pretty interesting stories, even uh, besides the forums, uh, people that know me personally that uh, they appreciate what I got to say. Okay, so I, I want to talk about some of these stories here. Uh, why don't you tell me about, um, tell us about one of your stories. You can pick whatever one you want of a situation when you went to the casino um, and, and gambled far more than you should have or, or got the money in some way that you shouldn't have or so, something along those lines. There wasn't in the story? No, either one that was posted or the one that wasn't posted. You, I you... mean, um, I could probably tell you, so I don't think there's that interesting stuff where I'm losing money, but um, I could tell you an instance where I was at the casino and um, I don't know if people are aware that you can cash a check. Uh, personal bank check for the amount you can take. And um, I had that going where you actually, I think they start you off with maybe $100 credit limit where you cash the check. I had uh, done that a few times. I had the money in the account, obviously. Um, they increase your limit slowly. And um, there was a point where I took out maybe, uh, they gave me two checks for about 2700 and one night in the cage, and I lost it all. And I pretty much uh, took all the money out of my account the next day and um, told them, uh, you know, they weren't getting their money. But uh, I eventually paid them to clear up the debt. I'm surprised uh, you did that. Like that. But, I, but I, I don't think stuff like that's that entertaining, to be honest. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, though. In Nevada, they really come down hard on that when people write bad checks. They actually uh, will well, co come and arrest them. Well, the, well I mean, I, I called them the next day. I, I took the money out so basically it wouldn't happen again. I took the money out so, so they wouldn't give me a credit line. After that date, yeah, and uh, I went and paid him after that. 
Okay, so um, let, let's go. Let's go to the girlfriend story. That's the one that really stuck out for me. Uh, tell us about that. So you you went with your girlfriend to a casino. Did you ever name the casino? She, she's actually deep in there right now. <laughs> uh, what what did you say? I'm sorry. Um, you went to a casino. Will you name the casino, or you just want to leave it as an anonymous casino? So we were at Mohegan Sun. Okay, you were at Mohegan Sun. So you went with your girlfriend to Mohegan Sun, and uh, tell me what happened there. What happened? You know, you get there. What happens from that point? Um, it was pretty much in the story, but um, we uh, I think we grabbed a bite to eat, had a couple drinks, went to a show actually, Chelsea Handler that night, and uh, we got off the show and I met up with my buddy James that I gamble with a lot of times, and um, we had been on a run where we uh, come up and pick up girls here or bring girls up with us. And um, we were playing blackjack. At that point, I gave my girl some money just to take off with this floss play with. Once she did, me and James looked at each other. We knew it was time to go look for girls, and uh, that's what we did. So you went to go look for girls. And now, where was your girlfriend at this point? She was in the room. She, she no, she was playing slots. I gave her, I gave her maybe eighty dollars and twenties to go play slots while I was on the blackjack table. But once she took off, we. Me and James picked up our chips off the blackjack table and went to look for girls. I see. So you gave her eighty bucks and you sent her out to play slots, and that just that's not going to last very long. Usually, eighty bucks at slots, but um, she she's not a big player. Hopefully, she might play the, <laughs> the minimum bet. You know, who knows? Okay, so you put her. You you just sent her. You gave her the eighty bucks just to get rid of her and send her away for a bit, and and you were pretending uh-huh. like you're playing blackjack, and then the second she got out of sight, then you grabbed your chips and decided this is my chance yeah, to me- to meet other girls. Yeah, me and my buddies, we, we took off at that point. But the place was swarming with girls that night because it was a Chelsea Handler show. So within uh, seconds, we found a group of girls. Okay, so there was a Chelsea Handler. They, she had some show that night, and there were a lot of girls mm-hmm. there. And so you went to uh, pick up on these girls. Now, before we go on with this story, why did you take your girlfriend there if this was the plan? Why not just go with yourself and then, and then you know have at it the whole night? Oh, she liked Chelsea Handler, so I had to get her the comp tickets to the show. She wanted to come up. Um, I didn't have intentions on doing what I did. It just, as soon as I started drinking, it came out, you know? Okay, so, so you went there just to kind of expecting you just taking your girlfriend uh, to the casino to see Chelsea Handler that she likes. And then once you were there and saw all the women that were there for Chelsea Handler and you were drunk, you kind of wanted to get some action on the side. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, definitely. Okay, so so you gave her the yeah, eighty bucks. Yeah, for sure. Well, once I'm drinking, I don't I don't want to go back to the room, my girl. Yeah. Okay, so you so you were drinking, and and you sent her away with the eighty bucks, and and <laughs> you found you found some girls. Then what happened at that point? Like I said, um, we uh, me and James picked up our chest. We took it wasn't even that far. We got out to the the walkway. We met a group of girls, and um, we started talking with them. And they seemed like they wanted to hang out. They had been drinking, so. We uh, talked them into hanging out. Okay, and where were you hanging out with them? Um, we were on the walkway at that point. We talked. A couple of them didn't want to hang out with us. They kind of had attitudes, and uh, we took the other girls. We walked down to the island spot area, and we were popping money into the spots, um, just trying to have a good time, talking to the girls, seeing what they wanted to do. And uh, we eventually talked them to come to the room to have more drinks. But at that point is when I started hearing my name called over the intercom. My girl was looking for me because I wasn't answering my phone. <laughs> now, did the girls so, you were with, did they understand that was your name being called? No, these girls had no idea who I was. I don't think they knew my name at that point. Okay. 
So, so you heard your name being called. You hadn't gone up to the room yet. So what did you do at that point? This is almost like uh, Three's Company. Uh, this is like uh, I could picture Jack Tripper in this situation. So, so you're, you're being called on the intercom, being paged by your girlfriend. You're with two girls you want to take up to your room, uh, who, of course, your girlfriend doesn't know about. What did you do then? Um, I kind of ignored the intercom calls and um, headed up to the room. I, I got the girls up to the room with my buddy, and that's when the girls realized there was girl stuff in the room, sort of questioned me, and um, I kind of came back to light and said uh, I shouldn't be in the room, so I had to get out of there. So, so they asked you about, you know, why why is there girl stuff in this room? And you said you left the room with them, or what what happened? We were, we were we were all in the room together, and uh, the girls were saying, uh, you know, whose girl stuff is this? Like, who are you here with? Yeah. And I said it was my sister's stuff, and um, said it wasn't my room. That I was grabbing a bottle of the room, and uh, they kind of went for it. And when I said we're going to go back to my room at this point, and uh, we left, and that's when I started heading down the way, and my girlfriend was coming up the elevator. Okay, so you, so you left the room, and um, you claim this is your sister's room. You just left some stuff in there, and uh, you, mm-hmm. cl- you claimed you're on the way to your room, but in reality, this was your room. And then what happened in the elevator? Well, that that was the funniest part to me. Um, when I came around the elevator, kind of uh, my buddy James was with the two girls behind me, and I was kind of walking past that elevator, realizing like my girl might be on the way up. She already intercom me to call my phone. She might be heading back to the room. And as soon as I hit the down button. To go to the lobby, um, the doors opened and she was there. And she was coming off like, where were you? And I pushed her back in the elevator saying, hey, I was looking for you. And she just barely missed them coming around the corner to... Uh... <laughs> so, wow. So so the girls were following you in the hallway, but you got to the elevator first. They, they were, they were, yeah, they were, they were a little bit behind me. They were about like five steps behind me. And as soon as the doors opened, they were just coming around. It's like a real short corner. They're coming around the corner. Right. So, so the elevator goes ding, and it opens up. And, uh, and Yeah, and, and I, my girlfriend's on the floor ready to go to the room. Yeah, and your girlfriend's like right there, and you realize these other two girls are about to show up there with you too. And so you, you quickly jump yeah. in the elevator and hit the door close button. Yeah, and, I told her, yeah, I said, I've been looking for you. Where you been, you know? So, the, and, so then um, what did you do? How did you, get, how did you get rid of your girlfriend at that point? Well, I hit the um, hotel lobby button. On the way down, I said, you know, I've been looking for you. I had to go make money out the room. I want to gamble. Um, as soon as we got to the bottom, I just uh, put the story. I just said, uh, I'm about to go gamble. You know what? I'll come meet you back in the room as soon as I get done. I'll be done soon. And she said, okay. Okay, so then she went up to the, so then she went up to the room at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what did you go do? I uh, headed to the front desk to get a new room. Okay, so, and what about these girls that you ditched? Didn't they think it was kind of weird that you just ditched them at the elevator? Well, no, they, they had no clue. They were behind me. They didn't know where I went. Um, I called my buddy James, obviously, and uh, told him I was at the front desk getting a room, and then I texted him the room number. So uh, he kind of held them off for a little bit. I think he brought them down. I, I didn't really see where they were. They didn't oh, I see. That's right. So, you, so your friend kind of took over and just led them and pre- made up some BS to cover for you. So he was he was kind of leading them down there. And so you had to get another room, of course, because... Now your girlfriend is in the only room you have, and uh, you have to take these girls to what you claim is your room that doesn't exist at this point. So what do you? How do you manage that? I uh, tell the front desk that I had a problem in my room, that it was uh, it was filthy, that they needed to do something about it, that I need a new room, and uh, they're pretty accommodating, especially uh, if you know the right thing to say to them. And uh, they said, "No problem, sir. We'll give you a new room." They give me new room keys, and they told me to get my stuff out the room that the room keys wouldn't last all night. They're going to be shut off, so... Yeah, so the room keys, I really didn't care. 
So so basically, you didn't get a second room. You didn't say, hey, I'm going to buy a second room for this. You actually are still keeping one room, and you have like a 15-minute... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, yeah, now you say that. I was, like, I was saving money, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was saving money. <laughs> it's a, so not only you uh, degenerate and cheat on your girlfriend, you're actually frugal sometimes, too. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, a degenerate, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> instead of buying another room, you decided to chance it by just keeping one room and having like a 15-minute window when you have both rooms for the purpose of transitioning your stuff from, from but, one to the but other. But in all, all fairness, this was a weekend night. It was a show night. I don't, I don't even think I could have bought a room, but you're right. I did, I, did, uh, I did pull the frugal move. You did kind of cheap out there. So Okay, so, so you got the yeah. keys to a new room, and you still had the old ones, which they said would work for like, what, 15 minutes or something? Yeah, they say uh, the keys are going to be um, – they're not going to work after 15 minutes. Get your, your stuff out the room and switch. <laughs> so, so. so so then what you did – so what did you do after that? Well, at that point, um, I figured she would already been in the room by that time because she was already on the hotel floor. So um, as long as she didn't come back out, she wasn't going to have a problem. And uh, I just had the new – yeah, I text James the uh, new room number and headed to the new room. So so you went to the new room with James, and you were both with the two girls and and – you know, what did you do with the girls once you were in the room there? Uh, we had a couple drinks, talked, made a couple jokes, um, nothing really special. Um, I, I kind of told all the story. Um, the girls, um, I told James at one point to go uh, get mixers for our uh, mini bar, and uh, he, he left with the other girl and left me and the girl I was talking to in the room. Huh. So, uh... So, so you, so you were left with the, so you kind of had James take the other one out, just as you'd be alone with the, with the first one that you wanted, and and did you have sex yeah. with this girl? Yeah, of course. You did. Okay, so you you closed the deal. So then, of course, your girlfriend's still waiting in your original room. Yeah, she had been calling my phone. I heard my phone vibrating a bit. Yeah. So you're, so, how long do you stay in this new room before you go back to where your girlfriend is? Um. It was less than two hours, but um, I'm guessing two-hour range. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, you're a little worried that uh, what if your girlfriend left the room at some point and couldn't get back in? Mm-hmm. And, but did, did that happen, or did she, she stay in the room? No, the she, um, she actually stayed in the room the whole time. When I got back up there, obviously my room key wasn't going to work, so I knocked on the door, and I told her my room, I lost my room key. She was pretty upset that I was gone for two hours, left her in the room. It was supposed to be our special night, so... Uh, you know, I, I talked to her for a little bit. She wasn't too happy, and I ended up saying, I'm going to gamble and left the room again. <laughs> You're like, I don't need to take this from you. I, I'm not taking this attitude yeah. from you. She, 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 was out, she was out of line, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so you uh, so you storm out of the room angry at her uh-huh. uh, you know, for for being such a, a bad girlfriend that night. And, uh, and do you, you go back to the first girl there? Um, I, I think I went back downstairs to play uh, – Blackjack with my buddy. He was already downstairs. He already left the room. Um, I think I got killed pretty fast. And I didn't want to go back to my girl, so I went back to the room that those girls were staying in. <laughs> so, okay. so, so those... plus, 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 I didn't, plus, I didn't have a room key. I couldn't get in the room. She was already sleeping. I didn't want to deal with her. Okay, so, so you went back to your new room to... <laughs> Aren't you worried also that they're going to... You know, especially on a night that's sold out, that they're going to resell this room that you checked out of, or at least send in the maid to clean it or something, and then find your girlfriend in there. I'm sure I would have seen the text if that was the case. Okay. But yeah, I, I was a little worried about that. Not not too much though. I was thinking so. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so the so the girls that the girl you had sex with, she was still in the new room. Yeah, she was passed out in the new room, and the other girl who uh, hooked up my buddy was in the bed with her. They were both sleeping. I see. So, so now, did you kick them out, or did you let them stay the whole night? No. As soon as I came in, um, the uh, girl my buddy was talking to seen me, and it kind of let me get into the bed with uh, the other girl, and I ended up just passing out, falling asleep, and um, I think she slept on the floor. Right? It was a, it was a single. It was a king. It was a king bed. Yeah. It was a two. It was just a king, and um, she on the floor, and I ended up passing out. Wow. So, so the whole night passed. How long did you sleep? Um, by that time, it was probably about 5 in the morning. I think I woke up around 9.30 a.m. Okay, so at 9.30, you've been gone the whole night. Your your girlfriend is lo- alone there, of course, and uh, you went back to your original hotel room that you're technically not supposed yeah, to have when, anymore? Yeah, when I, when I kind of woke up and seen it was 9.30 a.m., I, I couldn't believe that I fell asleep in that room. But I said, I better get back to my girl. And that's when I had went back to the room and knocked on the door again for her to let me in, and she was just kind of waking up and let me in. Okay, so so you got in there. What did you tell her for where you'd been all that time? I told her that I didn't have a room key like she knew from the last time I told her and that I fell asleep on the uh, couch on the hotel. At Mohegan, they have actually uh, couches on the hotel floors. So I told her I, I passed out on that couch. Okay, so so you told her you passed out on a couch. and uh, Yeah, because, what, because I, was trying, I was trying to be courteous. I didn't want to wake her up, obviously. And was she okay with this? Yeah, she was. She was actually. She actually felt bad for me. So she was okay with this, and then you. Uh, uh, so what? What happened at that point? Did you have sex with your girlfriend again, or what did you do? Well, yeah. Well, I took a shower first. Yeah, you um, took a shower, so she couldn't uh, smell the other yeah. one on you. That's nice. Yeah. No. Okay. So, so you had sex with your girlfriend, and then the the other girls they were still in the other room. How did you get rid of them? Well, that was kind of my concern when we left. I went and grabbed Rex, my girl, real quick, and um, we were waiting for the ballet, and I said, you know, i got to go upstairs. I didn't want her to know what I was doing, but I went to check on that room, but the girls weren't even there when I got there. <laughs> All right. So, so t- are you still with this girl? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, I mean... Uh, she, it, loves, she, she loves her, man. I, I, I believe it, but uh, it, it kind of sounds like, to be honest, it kind of sounds like that uh, you kind of want to you know, play the field here and mess around. I don't. Why do you stay with this girl if you want to? Uh, if you, if I got a problem, man. I, I guess because it would, I, your, your life would be a lot easier as far as sleeping around with a lot of women I, um, if you just all the girls I talk to on the side. I, the next day afterwards, I don't want to call them. I don't want to talk to them. Yeah, I could really care less. It's just uh, night of drinking and gambling and whatever. Well, I, I can understand why you know these girls you're having the one night stands with. You don't necessarily want anything long term with them. But uh, uh, I, I was just surprised that someone who wants to do that this much is uh, you know also has a girlfriend that you've have to dodge her finding out. Yeah, yeah. So um, all right, good for me. Yeah. So I mean, it's really that type of story. That's the story you just told. I could. It sounds like something like out of a movie. It sounds like a plot, in, including the the whole thing with the fifteen minute window with the two rooms and the claiming you slept on the floor and you know having sex with with both girls in the in the same day and taking the shower in between and uh, the the elevator thing. I mean, it yeah, just... it, I mean, it's one of my it's one of my favorite stories to tell my friends who don't know it. It is it is kind of uh, kind of movie like. For me, the the best part was obviously the uh, the whole uh, elevator scene where yeah. I actually pushed her away and they just missed it. You know. <laughs> so okay. 
there was something about uh, you landing in jail from one of your uh, exploits. What was that about? Uh, which one are you talking about? You obviously didn't read the thread. Uh, you get some notes from somebody. I, I did. I, re- I read parts of the thread. So the, the jail story I haven't read. Uh, I've, been, I've been to jail a few times. A few times I've been to jail. I don't know which one you're talking about. Well, but. just pick one. Which which is the more interesting one? Because I haven't read any jail stories. I, I as I said, I read uh, I read the um, girlfriend story and some other ones, but not any jail stories. But someone told me there's a, a jail I, story. May, maybe you're hearing about the one where I met a uh, strip over Steve, where I was in jail for a few weeks and I got a release on a revised revoke. Okay. I had been to jail when I was younger for about a year. Well, um, I'm not sure what that's Well, who, who's Strip Poker Steve? Uh, that's a character I uh, described. Uh, that's uh, Steve. He's a gambler. He plays poker all the time. I see. And why is he called Strip Poker Steve? Because uh, he couldn't afford his gambling habit and had to uh, kick his newspaper gig to uh, to uh, strip for uh, men at a club. <laughs> so he, he, see, he was stripping. <laughs> tough, you know? He was stripping at a gay club? Um, it's primarily gay. I mean, there's girls that go in there, but, um, it's mostly a male based, uh, clientele. And that's how, that's how he would get his poker bankroll is by stripping for men. Yeah. Yeah. He's still playing poker to this day. That's what he does. And he's proud of it. I always wonder at the tables, like where people get the bankrolls that they're using to play against me. I, I never thought of that one. I never thought about gay stripping, but yeah, his, uh, yeah, I, uh, I introduced him to poker and, uh, just, is it, he, he was a newspaper delivery boy at the time, and um, it just wasn't cutting it out. He couldn't afford to play poker with that money. So he, so how did he get into the stripping for men thing? I really don't know. Um, somebody must have recommended to him, and um, he just got into it. So, so how did you end up in yeah. jail related to strip poker, Steve? Strip poker, Steve. That was actually a, a fight I got to downtown. I got into a fight. I somebody got hurt, and they uh, pressed charges. I ended up in uh, jail. Was on probation at the time, Jeez. and they sent me to nine months, I believe. Um, I went in and um, I got my sentence reduced after three months. Got out. So when's the last time you were in jail? Um, jail, uh, 2011, I think. Hmm. That was for uh, my third DUI. Uh, you have th- so you have three DUIs as well. Yeah, my uh, I got three DUIs. Man. You've had a, you've had a lot of action in your life. I can say that. Yeah, no shit. So okay. Uh, so now, what has the reaction been to the various stories? You've I know a lot of people have liked reading them, but uh, uh, have you had people offering to stake you as a result of these stories? Like, what have you had as far as uh, the response? No, it's just been a lot of support. Um, people saying they enjoy the stories. And why do, you think, really. why do you think they like these stories so much? Do you think they like them because they kind of wish they could do they, these things? or? Uh, not that. I think that everybody understands uh, nobody really wants to be in that position. They just kind of can relate somewhat from uh, a gambling background or a degenerate background. They can relate on some level. Yeah, and you had some guy that was like kind of a sidekick. Uh, I forgot his name, but it was a guy who was like a sidekick that you would give like $100. Yeah, yeah, poker, poker, poker J. J, right? So, so what is yeah. this, this poker J? You're saying he's a, you said in the thread that he's like a losing poker player that like he just about never wins, and that you can give he him like wins. you can give him like a hundred dollars, and he'll go pretty much act as your personal assistant, provided you give him a hundred bucks every so often to go lose in poker. Is that pretty much what he is? Yeah, that's accurate for sure. <laughs> so, 
That's definitely accurate. So like, the, um, I'm actually bringing him out to Vegas. I'm bringing him out to Vegas. I talked to him on the phone today. I'm taking him out there. I got to play for his plane ticket, and uh, he's got to probably be my assistant out there for his hundred dollars stakes a day or whatever he wants. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like he does a lot there. You know, I, I was thinking that uh, you know he works pretty cheap. I I may have to steal Poker Jay and pay him two hundred dollars. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's supposed it's a little. I mean, <laughs> then again, you got to deal with him. I mean, he's not the easiest to get deal with. So, oh, I but see. if you want to steal him. Take him. Oh, I see. So you're you're not going to cry if I take Poker J away from you? No, not not at all. He he, he would love it. He'd love the uh, he want double his pay. He'll uh, he was actually <laughs> at a local bar tournament and I played for about twenty bucks. He probably barred off somebody, and uh, yeah, he would love two hundred dollars a day. That's big money for him. Yeah. So, so this is a guy who who likes poker but just uh, is absolutely awful at it and loses all the time. And then you can pretty much uh, uh, get him to do anything as long as you can give him uh, the hundred dollars to to keep playing. Yeah, yeah, I'll wash my socks in the sink. Whatever I ask him to do, he has to do. And and how old is this poker, Jay? Um, he's actually a little older than I am. He's probably about 32, 33. Did you meet him at the casino? Uh, I met him when I was younger, about 2005-ish. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. He's not, he's not a good poker player. He's just like, when he comes, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to see somebody sitting at a one to five star table at his age, but uh, that's his favorite game. He loves to go over there, drink his, uh, his TNTs and... Play one to five stuff. Huh. Well, okay. I mean, it's, it sounds like um, you live a, an eventful, an eventful life here. Though, are you worried it's going to catch up with you at some point here? That your girlfriend's going to find out and ditch you, and uh, or that uh, you're going to go back to prison, or you're going to, you know, be broke? And uh, do you do you work a regular job? No, no, I'm working a long time. So, so how do you support yourself? Do you support yourself through poker, or how do you do it? Um, not necessarily poker, other things. I mean, I don't really need to touch on everything, but just side stuff. Yeah, side stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> so like like, I mean, ma- uh, like, the, like many poker players, you don't have a day job, uh, whether no. it comes from poker or not. Okay, let's take some questions from the chat room here, and then uh, after that we'll, we'll give uh, Drexel a call. So uh, let's see, does the chat room have any questions for him here? Uh, uh, someone in the chat room has a comment. Side stuff means scamming. Uh, what, what's your answer to that? Uh, scamming in the sense of I don't, I don't know. I don't scam personal people. I mean, if you want to talk about insurance or something like that, maybe. But okay, uh, so someone no. asked. Someone asked in the chat, uh, "Are you a drug dealer?" Uh, I've been uh, convicted of it. <laughs> okay, so so that's uh, you, you're not going to say no to that. Is what you're saying. I, I'm I'm kind of on the up and up lately, to be honest. But, oh, you're on uh, the up and up, okay. If, if you if you read my thread, you you would uh, get a bigger picture. All the, even like the recent post I gave about the home invasions and stuff like that. Oh, it's home invasions, like, really? How did were the home invasions random or were they targeted at you? Targeted. Oh, why did people invade your home? Um, one of them wasn't my home. I was just uh, somebody, I guess, and the other one was for gambling limits. So wait, I'm sorry, what, what was the, one of them was for what? Gambling winning. Oh, gambling winning. So, so you're saying that you owed them money and they broke in uh, to get the money? No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I never met these people before in my life, but the uh, one they got caught the night they did it. I uh, was able to contact the police and they were caught in the act. And um, when they were at the police station, one of them cracked and talked to the detectives. And they uh, said they were sent into the house by another guy. 
who said that I got 60,000 and gambling wins in my house and go get it. Well, that's, that's an interesting, uh, question, a side question here. Someone asked in the chat, what's the most you ever won in one session? Um, online, I think I talked about that in the story too, it was about 40,000. But you're saying that what? someone instructed to go to your house to break in for 60,000. Does that mean you won 60,000 that night or you just left at 60,000? No, I, the time I won on 40,000 was in, uh, 2008, um, I'm not sure of the story behind it, but that's what they told the detectives that uh, they were under the impression that there were 60,000 at least in gambling winnings in my house, and um, that they were going to split it with the guy who put them up to it. I see. And uh, let's see. Uh, how many girls have you had sex with in your life? I really can't keep track, but uh, I'd have to guess over 200. Whoa, over 200. Okay, that was from a spew artist in the chat room. Uh, let's see here. Um, do you know any of the regular poker pros at the Mohegan Sun or Foxwoods? I know some guys. I mean, um, I'm not too big into poker, but I, I know a couple guys who are pretty uh, popular that I'll talk to aside from poker. Okay. I would have loved to get Paul Darden on the phone. You guys could abuse him tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're asking in the chat room, do you have STDs or specifically super AIDS? I could. Um, I've been tested before. I come clean. I kind of got a little thing I do. Uh, you know, before I'm out to do anything, a little skeptical. I uh, pop a Z-pack, a little airborne, shot a tussin, hmm. and I should be all set. Well, I don't know. I'm a little fr- if you if you're having sex with a girl with herpes, I'm not sure if uh, the tussin and the airborne is going to stop it. But uh, um, let's see here. Uh, do you know who Jedi? Um. Yes, I do. Not, not personally, but I do know of him. You know of him. What What did you think of his little uh, chopsticks thing he did? Um, is that the thing where he stole the money out the uh, tip thing? Yep. Uh, I'm sorry, what's that? Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about, where he stole the tips with the chopsticks. Um, yeah, I mean, um, that's not, uh, that's frowned upon. I mean, um, I don't really know him personally, so I got nothing okay. to say about him. Um, he should have done it, for sure. Yeah, Loser so- with a camera, stealing tips, I mean, I don't know. Um, are you well known by the staff at Foxwoods or the Mohegan Sun? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, pretty much. I'm actually I'm here right now. I might be here, hoping they don't kick me out soon. <laughs> How many times have you been kicked out of these places? Actual objections? Yeah. Um, two um, permanent objections from Mohegan. I think three permanents from Foxwoods. Two twenty-four hours from Foxwoods. Now, how are you getting around the permanents? Um, well, I'll write a letter. They give you six months to write a letter, and they might accept you back. <clears throat> Usually they do. I'm actually waiting for my – I wrote letters for July. I'm waiting for my review. See if they'll let me back to either one. So but you... other than that, I just come here and hope they don't catch me. Sometimes they catch me. I've told a couple stories about it, and I just leave because I know they can't keep their hands on me. Really? So so you write letters to them, what, claiming you were drunk or something, you're not going to do it again? Uh, it's a, yeah, an apology letter. You just you know just write saying, hey, sorry. Let me back in, and um, I mean, Fox has done. They've let me back in after two permanent rejections. Um, hoping to let me get in after the third. Wow, and the, and you actually go there even when you've been given the trespass act, where technically they can they can arrest you for showing up there, and you claim that because they can't actually put their hands on you for just showing up there, that you just leave as soon as they bring it up, and they can't arrest you. Yeah, I, there was a recent story I just talked about where I did that, where I ran out. They had me in the back room. I ran out of the back room, took off. 
Wow. Um, but um, there, there was another time, actually, where um, they had me. I checked back in. I just got ejected. I came back to the casino. I checked back in with Poker J. And uh, on the floor, they came to the room, knocked on the door, knowing that I was there. I checked back in under my name like an idiot. And um, <laughs> they held elevator doors so I couldn't take off and waited for state police. Once state police got here, they just gave me a simple trespass citation. Up. Really? So what happens with that? You get the citation, you have to just pay a fine, or do you have to go to court? What do you do? It, it, it was a fine. There, there's two levels in Connecticut of trespass. It's simple and criminal. And criminal, you actually get arrested. Simple, it's a citation. Hmm. So, uh, but, but this doesn't stop you. You keep coming back. You just, uh, are you permanently banned? Yeah. So you, you're currently banned from both properties at the moment? Yeah, definitely. And and which one are you going to be at tonight? Or do you not want to say? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see really what it matters, but I'm I'm here tonight. Okay, you're you're at one of them tonight. And uh, how often do you go to these one of these casinos? Oh, I'd say about three nights a week. When I when I'm not banned, I'm here more often. Um, once I got all my comps and things like that. Now, are they still sending you comp offers after getting banned? Because I know some people uh, that happen to. No, they they generally stop you. I'm I'm still getting comps emails from Foxwoods, but I know they're worth nothing, so. Uh, a question from the chat room. Do you know a guy named John Sepulveda? No, I don't. You don't know him. He was he was part of this community and scammed everyone, so they were wondering if, you know, since you're both in the same area, if you know him. All right. No, so, I don't. So uh, you got some interesting stories. I definitely suggest that everybody uh, check out the thread on 2 plus 2 by uh, Warm Deck, and he has a lot of stories up there. I, I didn't have time to read them all. Uh, I read some of them. I'm going to read more. S Double has a question. What's your question, S Double? He says, ask my fucking question. But I, I don't know what question he wants me to ask. I'll ask you the S Double question, and then we'll get ready for the check-in on Drexel in his World Series event. So, uh, But yeah, thank you for coming on here and, and for coming to Poker Fraud Alert and answering some questions. Uh, he's asking, did you break into a house to take a, quote, vacation? A what? He's asking if you broke into a house to take a vacation. I'm not really understanding that, that joke. I, I, I don't know what he's saying either. He's asking, so he broke into a house to take a vacation? I've never broken anybody's house. Okay. Uh, and one more question in the chat room. Uh, have you s- seen any prostitutes recently? Um, it's kind of hard over here. I mean, Atlantic City and Vegas probably obviously a different story, but over here it's um it's more on call. You got to call them up to come. Okay. Well, uh, as I've said, as if you you even said in the two plus two thread, um, a lot of your behavior here, uh, even you don't condone, even though you do it, and that uh, you you're really just relaying these true stories to everyone for entertainment purposes. And I, I decided to, you know, have you on this show so people could hear. Uh, uh, some stories from a true gambling degenerate, and uh, I appreciate you coming on here and and for uh, check out the stories when you get a chance. Check yeah, I'll, I'll check out the rest of them. I've, I I enjoyed the ones that I read; they were interesting. I'll say that. Uh, I just have mm-hmm. had a lot to do as I was playing all these World Series events myself yeah. and everything else recently. So, all right, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we will hear from you later. All right, thank you. Thank you. That was Warm Dick. And some people in the chat room don't believe his stories, but I'm telling you, he, he seemed to present a lot of evidence in the 2 plus 2 threads to where if this is phony, he did a very good job like preparing 
things to present as evidence of the stories. Someone asking, is it warm deck or warm dick? It's warm deck, but maybe he should change his name. Actually, warm dick would be a good name for him for the night he cheated on his girlfriend. That he cheats on her and then goes back to his girlfriend's room and has sex with his girlfriend. But he took a shower in between. So I have an update here. Uh, just I had it on my screen and it disappeared. So the one drop. Here we are. Daniel Coleman, who was expected to get run over by the other Daniel Negranu, is doing the opposite. He's actually currently holding a 91 million to 34 million chip lead. So if we still had our bet going, I'd be happy about that. But uh, right now, Coleman with what's getting close to be a three to one lead in chips. And he might end up being the winner of the 2014 one drop. Interesting. Uh, taking a look at event number 59. Um, I guess the dinner break has just started and it's being reported that um, Brandon has 175,000. He's fallen behind a Brendan, that's Brendan Taylor, who has sent in his own chip count through the MyStack app of 216,000. Uh, Mike Leah, who I played with a little bit during the 1500 Limit Hold'em, 158,000. Kind of came out of nowhere to rocket up to that. Also, over 100,000. Currently, we have Sergey Rebichenko, Joseph Steers, Justin Bonomo, John D'Agostino, and John O'Shea. So let's give uh, Brandon a call. Let's see if he answers since it's supposedly dinner time. If we don't get him, I'll try to text him. Try him in a bit. I just texted him that we were trying to call him. In the meantime, let's go back to the agenda. By the way, uh, David Chino Reem, you might wonder what happened to him since he was one of the chip leaders. Uh, as said well in the chat room, Chino Chinoed his stack. He only has 10K left, so he's going to be gone pretty soon. So somebody in the Chino Ream vein, someone who's often mentioned along with Chino Ream, is Eric Lindgren. Eric Lindgren played the one-drop event. Now, he didn't buy in for a million dollars. He didn't even have anybody else buy him in. Eric Lindgren played a 25K satellite to the one-drop 
and was one of two people who won. So he won his seat. Um, I assume he was probably staked for that 25k. I don't know much how much he had of himself, and I don't know what agreement he had. Like if he were to win, then you know, does he carry over that same amount? He probably does, as far as uh, what the person has of him in the one drop. But um, I'm kind of critical. Unless the one drop's being done differently than the other tournaments, when you win any satellite at the Rio, and I realize this is kind of a different satellite, when you win any other satellite, they give you these lammers that you use to buy in to any event of your choice. So if you win a one drop satellite, I have to assume they give you a million dollars worth of lammers, which you can sell and they don't have any any rule as far as i know against selling them or if they if they do it's not enforced i'm wondering why lindgren is taking million dollar shots even if he was originally staked to the 25k even if he satellited in why when he has a million dollars worth of lammers why he doesn't sell those lammers either to someone else buying into the one drop Maybe like his buddy Negranu. Because you can do that. You can just give the the Lammers to somebody else and let them use them. Uh, so why he doesn't either sell them to a one-drop entrant or, you know, kind of just hang out during the main event when everyone's buying in. And, you know, you just have to find 100 people to buy them. You can even probably sell them at full value and then pay the backer the percentage that you owe him. And then use the rest to pay people back. Why is he taking million dollar shots? I don't know how much he owes. But this seems like kind of a reckless way. To use a million dollars that he's essentially just won. I know he's not winning it in cash. But you can convert those lammers. Especially uh, since the one drop hasn't gone yet. Uh, you, you know, If you can find anyone buying in that will take them from you. You can do it. But even if you can't. you can, There's plenty of main event entrants who are going to be registering over the next few days sell to a hundred of them and uh, you've got the cash but I think Lindgren was hoping that he would play that he would win that he'd get 15 million dollars he'd have to give whatever percentage he has to give to the backer first but then he still has many million to use to pay back all his debts. I think a million dollars, especially a million minus whatever he owes the backer, probably would still have left him with a lot of debt to people. He probably owes millions of dollars, is my guess. But I don't think that's a good excuse. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. A lot of poker players see it that way. Like, either I've paid off all my debts or it's not worth paying any of them off. Like, there's no in-between. They don't want to pay off, like, a quarter of the people they owe or half the people they owe. Or they don't want to pay half the money to all the people they owe. They want to pay off either everything or nothing. Spew Artist says in chat that he was wearing a DraftKings patch 
which is interesting. Like, uh, like who exactly is going to be patching up Lindgren at this time? He's not exactly a good representative for your brand. He owes people a lot of money. He borrowed money from people and made bets against people with money he could not cover. It's pretty bad. So, yeah, and Spew Artist mentioning that he scams so much from fantasy sports, of all things for him to be representing now. I have one more update here. Daniel Coleman is the winner of the one drop. That's it. It's over. Daniel Negreanu once again is a bridesmaid and not the bride. Damn, I wish we still had our bet on. That would have been so cool if we had our bet still on and if the one drop, one of their last chances to beat us, Negreanu goes heads up against an unknown like Daniel Coleman and loses. Oh, that would have been great. So Negreanu still comes away with over $8 million, but Daniel Coleman is the winner of uh, $15 million plus. Interesting. But anyway, Lindgren representing fantasy sports is pretty bad. That's really one industry he should not be involved with in any way, given the stories that came out, the true stories that came out. And apparently Lindgren has not been very gracious about the money he owes. Apparently he's been very difficult with people. But um, I, I don't know, maybe the backer made him play all the way through. Maybe the backer wanted to have big money. Wanted to parlay that 25k into millions. Maybe that's why he had to play. But I would think the honorable thing to do when you win a million dollars is not to enter a million dollar tournament, but to pay off your backer, unless he's forcing you to pay. But otherwise, pay off your backer, his portion, and then pay the entire rest of of what you've won, like at least prorated. To people you owe. So let's say you owe collectively $5 million and pay everyone 20%. Or if, let's say he keeps half of it, let's say he keeps 500k, then pay everyone 10%. At least give him something. Which doesn't sound right that he just goes and plays a million dollar buy-in event and when he doesn't cash, then he's back where he started from. Try Brandon again. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice. First ring voicemail, lovely. 
I guess it's possible that Brandon had a bad end to the level and doesn't want to talk, but it could also be bad reception. Who knows? But it's a dinner break, so presumably he has a while to be reached. So we'll try. We'll keep trying. Chad Brown, uh, he's in very bad shape. He has cancer. He is said to be on hospice care, which generally is just making you comfortable while it has been conceded that you're going to die. So it's pretty much waving the white flag. And uh, the World Series decided to do something nice. And when something like this is done, kind of like when they remade Jonathan Duhamel's bracelet after it got stolen from him when his girlfriend set him up, uh, sometimes when corporations do nice things like this, they're doing it for the publicity and not necessarily because they care. Now, I don't know if the bigwigs at the World Series, like Jack Effel, actually knew Chad Brown very well, and it's possible they did, but uh, I don't know if they are really doing this because they think it's the right thing to do and a nice thing to do, or because it's getting Caesar's good publicity, or both. But uh, here is the ceremony, the bracelet ceremony, which usually I, I want to just hang myself when they have these. Not because it's not me up there, I just... I just want to get back to playing. They always have these after the first two levels of an event every day during the uh, the daytime events. But uh, this is an honorary bracelet, the first one ever awarded to Chad Brown, who, by the way, came fairly close to a bracelet. He was at the 10K Limit Hold'em final table in 2009 and was doing very well and then took an awful beat against Greg Mueller, who ended up winning where Chad Brown had the ace-high flush on a non-paired board and lost to Mueller's straight flush. I believe they put five bets in on the river. And then that was the turning point. Mueller went up. Chad Brown went down. I think he finished fifth. Mueller won. Um, Okay, so we're going to call Brandon. He just texted me. Then we'll play the... Honorary bracelet ceremony for Chad Brown. Hello. Brandon Drexel Gerson, the former co host of the Druff and Drexel show. Hello and welcome to Um I'm on hiatus. Yeah, it's on hiatus, uh, the Druff and Friends show now, as it's called. Uh, All right. Welcome to the show, and I know you guested last year in uh, the World Series. You came to my lovely hotel room and broadcasted overnight. Uh, what's going on here? I've, I've been updating people throughout the show with uh, nice. your progress. So uh, uh, it's, it's the dinner break right now. How many chips do you have? I, I did uh... – Roughly, I think around 155,000 ish. I had it up to, to like 180. Lines are high. I took a beat or two toward the end, but uh, still, made, still playing pretty steadfast, calm, playing great, feeling good. Just uh, ordered something from that Hollywood Dave food chain outside, that healthy food. You know what I'm talking about? You mean All American Dave? <laughs> yeah, 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 Hollywood. Yeah, uh, yeah so so I'm so- waiting on that and. Uh, that's that's really it. I'm pumped up. I'm feeling good. I'm playing great, and just excited. Yeah, so I'm good. I got a lot. I'm really impressed, honestly. 
although I haven't been on the forums much, the amount of support, and it's not like this is a huge tournament or anything, just I've gotten from everyone at PSA, it, it's amazing. I appreciate it, guys. You guys are the best. Well, yeah, everybody's... I've tweets, and just, you guys are fucking awesome. Every, everybody's rooting for you. I, I wish I wasn't at a secret location, or, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, when you make the final table here, I would be there, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm not around. But, but, you know, I hope you do. And um, I, I see that um, one of your starting table mates, uh, that dude, Vanessa Selfs, uh, is not in the tournament anymore. I see that she's gone. Yeah, he he got very aggressive, and he ended up busting out. And everyone said, nice answer, and shook his hand, and that was it. <laughs> okay, and then so... he just kind of walked off. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's, That's he's a... aggressive. I mean, no, no, but no. In, in, this, in this kind of game, in a limit game, Aggression's only going to take you so far. I mean, you can't get people off hands, especially for one bet on the river. Uh, I mean, you know, you're a limit player yourself, so it's yeah, not, yeah. I mean, you, know, you I can't had use this... that same kind of no limit aggression that that you can. I'm sorry, that same kind. Of, yeah, that no limit aggression in you know, a game like this. Yeah, I, I had where, this where... Uh, like two years ago. I think it was a uh, Scott Seaver was at one of my limit hold'em games, and he tried that. He was like trying to three bet me off top pair, and I'm like. I'm not folding. I'm not happy calling a three bay with it, but I'm going to call him down. And then, you know, sure enough, he shows nothing and uh, he just shoots off his chips. Like, it doesn't work. Do you, do you know, by the way, what happened in one drop? I know it was Coleman or Grano heads up, and everyone just started going nuts. So I think it ended. I have no idea. Yeah, Coleman just won. But, is there, okay. Was it, was it like a bad beat, the last hand? Uh, was there some sweat? Yeah, or? yeah. There was some kind of. I think they were waiting for a 10 or something, and it came down for Coleman to win. Okay. Yeah, because that is literally about maybe. I don't know, 50 feet from where my table is. Oh, wow. So that, they're that going be, nuts, yeah. It has to be distracting. Yeah. But I have, I have 155-ish, I think, uh, which is, a, I think, at least double the average right now. It should be somewhere around there. There's 56 players left. I think it pays 54, so right on the money bubble on dinner break. And uh, I got some mahi-mahi with some fresh vegetables and rice and some avocado, eating healthy. And uh, just gonna go eat, and uh, hopefully take this down for PFA. Yeah, right now you won't I, be I, the only bracelet winner on these forums. I, I mentioned that I said that we may have a second bracelet winner, and uh, right now I don't see anyone reporting their chips as higher than yours, except for one guy named Brendan Taylor who self-reported himself at two sixteen k. But truthfully, you know, if you remain well above average, uh, it doesn't matter if you're chip leader or second or whatever. You know, you've got to very good shot at the whole thing. And I, I know there's a while to go with 56 people, but, uh, you know, congratulations on what's almost sure to be Thanks. a cash. Uh, it'd be shocking to me if you, you know, were one of the next two people out. So I think we can conclude you're going to cash in this one. And is this your first event this year? This is, yeah. Well, yeah, this is my first World Series. I, I went with, uh, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I have to Hey. Thank you, sweetheart. What was your name? You're very beautiful. Nice to meet you. Uh, after I win the contest, I'll come out and talk to you more. All right, bye. Hello? I see you're still, you're, I see you're, I see you're, you're still at the whispering there. <laughs> um, I went and played a tournament with uh, Jeannie and Steve at the, the Grand Series at, uh, where is that? at the Golden Nugget. I played a uh, eight-game tournament there, and actually I finished third. Huh. That is the only tournament I played. It was, it, it was decent. It, it, I mean, it's only a two hundred thirty dollars buying cash for six thousand, and that now uh, today that's it. 
Wow. So, Second tournament. So you played two tournaments. You got third in the first one you played. It wasn't a World Series, but you still got third. And now you, you've almost surely cashed here in this one and, and maybe much, much better than that. So uh looks like it's oh, going well. I mean, I can tell you one thing. Uh, barring any kind of craziness, I'll have a much better uh, ROI for the summer than uh, someone that we both know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually very true. So, yeah, I you know, I... I I, I was I knew you were doing fairly well, uh, but then I couldn't believe it when I looked. I said, "I wonder how Brandon's doing." And then just right there at the top, Brandon Gerson, just bang right there at the top. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's actually been a, up until this last level where I did lose a couple of pots. It's been pretty much just like chipping up every level from the beginning. Um, you know, just playing patient. I mean, which is the key to this game. You know, some I think two levels ago, I basically just folded and folded and. You know, it's a lot about just your starting hands and being patient and, uh, you know, not, you know, I mean, obviously it's just, you know, you know, it's a split pot game. A lot of mistakes that I've seen for most people. And I think we were talking about this last night. They play the game like it's Paul and Omaha and they'll, they'll raise or cold call with, you know, with, uh, hands that, that you, you know, without lows, you know, like the 10 jack, queen, king, or yeah, even I, worse than that. Just I couldn't believe that king. when you're telling me this. Like, I, I can't believe it. The $3,000 buy in event here, you have people doing that. You know, I really couldn't believe because when I, when I, I've never played this event here and I really thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm great or, you know, I, I, I played this game a lot, you know, so I am decent and, uh, you know, I'm sound in it, but I really couldn't believe the, the amount of dead money. There really was a lot in this event. I mean, I, I thought the level of play would be a lot better. Um, I mean, obviously, you can look at the list of people that are remaining. I know Jay Dax is in it still, Jennifer Harmon. You know, there are a lot of good players, but uh, there are a lot of players I, I just couldn't um, uh, couldn't believe just the type of play I was watching. You know, just people were playing it, you know, like ace-ace, you know, eight, nine, you know, no low possibilities and just, yeah. you know, not, not able to fold, you know, on a four five, six flop. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, like it was PLO, but, uh, funny. So, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's yeah. funny. You know, like hearing this makes me want to get better at this game myself and play it next year. So, uh, yeah, well, this is actually, I didn't even know this. This is the first time they've ever had this event at this limit. It's always been in the past, uh, 1500. And then, I don't know if they had it last year because of just the economy, and then they'd have a 10K World Championship. But they've never had a 3K one before. This is actually the inaugural, inaugural event. Huh, so, yeah. so, um, uh, you played with, uh, you mentioned in the text message, you played with uh, Jennifer Harmon today at the table? Yes, yes. And uh, I played, I played actually with a lot of uh, people I know. I had Brett Ritchie, uh, and Steve Zoltel to my direct right yesterday for about two, three hours. That was my final table. I had that nice gentleman, uh, Mr. Selps, that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, right now, actually, at my table, I do not know anybody. Hmm. Uh, we just got broken up, and I've been there for about an hour. The table just broke, and there's not anyone that I that I know at the table I can recognize. Um, so, but, yeah, well, I'm sorry, what was your, was your question? No, I was just saying, I, I've, right I've actually never played with uh, Jennifer Harmon before, ever. What was what was she like at the table? Um, in the brief amount of time we played before a table bro- broke, uh, I 
nut nutted her, which for those that aren't familiar with Omaha is I had the nut high and, and the nut low. I had basically, I had actually had those ace deuce suited and I ended up made, that was the low, obviously. I also made a full, an ace high flush huh. and, uh, she called me down all the way. And when the hands were revealed, she muttered something, the dealer and slammed down her cards and actually kind of cute. Cause I've heard, you know, I've never played with her before. It's the first time I've ever played with her. And I've heard stories, um, you know, just that she's rude and nasty. But she, yeah, you know, just, I think she's one of those players that uh, really believes the dealer has some effect on the outcome. Of yeah, the it's so weird. I've, I've, I've heard personal. this too. I've heard, yeah, I've heard just like what you said, that she's just, uh, will abuse dealers and yell at them. So I never understood that. Like, like when I'm running badly in a game, you can see visibly my frustration, but my frustration is either just with myself or with the circumstance. I never get mad at the dealer for giving me bad cards. I, mean, I never even think that for a second. Like, oh, fucking deal. like, never. It's not their fault. They're just dealing random cards. It's stupid. I've never once got yeah. – only time I get mad at the dealer is if they're either rude to me or if they're they're totally incompetent and not paying attention. But I uh, – never never for the cards I'm dealt. So uh, Absolutely. I can't believe someone – And, of course, me. you know, I'm also thinking if, if this trend doesn't go well, I'm just going to go to the airport, get some fake Ramada check-in slip, and I'll just hang out there for a while. That seems <laughs> to be the way to get in poker buy-in. That's right. <laughs> you know, you just have to meet about 10 people there, and uh, you'll get the whole $3,000 back. That's, it's, that's the key. That's the key. Apparently, you can do this for many, many years. And the great thing in this country is there are so mm. many airports – that uh, you can just keep moving on. Even if you get arrested at one, you can just move on to the other. So Unbelievable. I saw the radio thread, and I started reading maybe four or five days ago about uh, this guy, was it Warmdeck? Is that his name? Warmdeck, yeah. We just had him on before you. Yeah, and some of the – oh, you already had him on? Yeah. And some of the stories, and it's fucking outrageous. I mean, there's some – I mean, I thought I was just at a gen with the women, or, you know, at least back in the day, I've mellowed out now, but – Jesus, some of those stories are just amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it can make you feel good when you think you're a degenerate and you read things like that. You go, oh, I'm not that bad. I I actually was uh, pr- pretty toned down, you think, when you read that. Yeah. Well, so, I know this was a question that, I don't know, about four or five people tweet at me. I don't care. I'll, excuse me, I'm, I'm just going to eat because I have to go back soon. So, But um, I did see my con today. Actually, it was a, for the first time in... I guess since our uh, falling out, uh, it was the closest I've ever seen him because I was playing with Kronk uh, and he's right next to me and Mike kind of walked over there and someone go ask me if we talked or if anything. No, there were no words exchanged. He didn't even look at me. Not that it matters. I just, because people were asking him, I could dodge a question. But um, he was uh, probably within five feet of me a numerous amount of times yesterday. So he walked by my table about two or three times and just, like I didn't exist, and I, you know, of course, it's fine. I'm not expecting any different. I didn't say anything to him, but uh, people were curious, so I figured I'd throw that out there so people would know. Well, yeah, I've, any I've, acknowledgement? I've walked by MyCon, like in the hallway and things like that, uh, a number of times this World Series, and we've just uh, treated each other like we're strangers. So, yeah, well, I'm still the luckiest man alive, Joe. Yep, I, you are. I mean, look, you're proving it right now. You're, you're right now. You're the second luckiest man alive, but. Uh, Maybe and also, I, as I think, uh, I don't know if you mentioned, Tommy Boy is in the tournament, although I haven't played with him. He has a bunch of chips. So I'm wondering if maybe the reverse genocide prophecy may come true. But every time she leaves a guy for South African, 
the ex-boyfriend goes on to win a bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone, I, you might have to explain that when we hang up the yeah. reference to that because people, yeah. people might not be aware of that. So, yeah, that's okay. pretty, uh, that's pretty well wooed. Yep, he he definitely did get whale loaded. That's for sure. So, uh, so you know, uh, Brandon, you're welcome to come back on the show. You know, anytime know. you like. Even if it's like on a guest basis, if you just want to host a specific episode or whatever, if you are in the mood to do it. And uh, I know the site is rooting for you here. I know everyone will go nuts there if you uh, make the, even honestly just make the final it makes table. me feel guilty. You know, just that I haven't been around because the amount of support I've gotten again. I know this isn't like the main event. It's a lot of you know, I'm only, I think there's only 50, what did I say, 57 people left. And just the fact that so many people from PFA are, are tweeting at me or even texting me and showing support, it's, you guys are awesome. I, I do really appreciate it. And, I, I, you know, it's just it's really amazing. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling when the, you know people are looking at your results and, and caring about how you're doing and not caring in the way like hoping you bust, but like actually um, hoping you win. So. Uh, I know there's Absolutely. a number of people like that on, on this site that are going to be following it, and, and I hope you win. And uh, uh, I, I know you got a long way to go, and a lot can happen between now and the next 55 people. But uh, you're, you're I think good... we're going back. Uh, the blinds are going to be four four thousand, eight thousand, uh, with eight and sixteen betting. So that, that means, and even the fact that I get to that double, I'm about at least double the chip average. I think it was 60 when I last saw. It looks like about so, 75 you know, now, so you're, you are about right around double. Yeah, but I mean, even, you know, even with a double stack, 8 and 16 betting, you know, you take two bad beats in a row and you're decimated. It's just, yeah, and, you know, it's just kind of like the tournament you were just in, the yeah. 10K limit. It's just, you know, it's the nature of these limit tournaments. You just, you know, I've been running good and playing good, but I've been running good the last day and a half, but you need to run good at the right time. Yep. I mean, there's so much, there's only, you know, only so much skill plays into this. I mean, only for great starting hands, you have to connect and you, know, you have to hope your hands hold. So, you know, but we'll see. But either either way, I've had a great time. You know, it's just fun uh, being back out here. I, you know, I didn't I didn't play. Uh, I think the last time I played here was two years ago, and I was heads up. No, I'm sorry, I did play last year. The limit, you know, and I again finished second. And then the year before, I ended up winning my table, and then uh, didn't advance. Which I bubbled the, fi- the main final table. I, yes. I think that was the same year that you did too. Didn't we all like both of us bubble the final table about two years ago? Um, no, I didn't bubble. I, I made the uh, I made the second day, but I didn't. I finished like third on okay. the table. But but yeah. uh, the, the are you considering playing the main, especially if you cash well in this one? I mean, you know, it's not even about cashing well or, or not. I mean, any of the. That's really not even a play in effect or play a role in it. Um, I'm probably not going to, only because I'm just realizing now again. I mean, I'm not a young kid anymore. I'm an old goat. You know, just two days of playing out for 30 hours or whatever it is. I mean, it's exhausting. You know, it's it's it's, it's exhausting. So I don't know. Uh, you know, anything can happen. But as of right now, I'm, I'm not planning on it. I don't think whether I final table it, you know, this or min cash. I don't think it's going to change it. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to play it. I don't know. Never say never. I didn't, you know, literally, I didn't plan on playing this. I literally woke up and just felt like playing some poker. And, and I knew the event was, uh, you know, yesterday. And at three o'clock, you know, I was talking to you actually on the phone. I said, oh, okay, I'm going to go. Stopped off the Bank of America, got the buy in, and went and played. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't even like I was specifically planning to play this for a while. It just was kind of a spur of the moment. All right, 
I wanted to play this. And uh, then, I, actually, it's funny. I called T uh, Money. You know, he's you know he's put me in some events or taken half or some action for a number of years. Not not this year. I told him I was playing. I was literally in the parking lot at Rio, and I wanted to give him a chance just because I feel bad for the guy. He's always, you know, he's so generous to the community, and he never really seems to get any results. Well, he got some so, for me. Uh, Last year, I gave him some results at least. Oh, yeah. He had, he had some of you in the yeah, 10K? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, no, the 5K. I think he had like 10% of me. Oh, fuck. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. So he has, he has uh, part of my action, so he's been rooting me on, and we'll see. But uh, I will be texting up there, tweeting updates every level like I have been, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll be down here tomorrow. All right, yeah, very good. I hope to see you tomorrow. I hope that uh, even tonight that you're uh, up at or near the top of the uh, of the chips, and we'll be following this and playing a lot of ESPN updates during the show. I appreciate it. All right, I'll text you right And again, guys, everyone that's listening, uh, I'm not you know, too many names even say, really do appreciate all the tweets and everything. I know I've been away for a long time, and yet you guys still uh, – Treat me with love and respect, and and I just I appreciate it. You guys are the best. So, all right. Well, anyhow, have a great show, and I'll 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 uh, I'll be in touch. All right, bud? all right. Good luck, Brandon. Bye. All right, bye. That's Brandon Drexel Gerson, former uh, co-host of the show, and uh, I, I think I, I speak for most people, and I, I can't give him a PFA hat. I would, but I'm not in Vegas right now. Someone telling me check out the new two plus two post about the new one drop winner. Jeez, I have to research new stuff during the show. I don't have enough to talk about tonight. I mean, I, there's a lot of topics tonight. A lot of topics tonight. Let's see if I can find this. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Oh, it's a scandal. This is a post from a person named Truth Seeker. Now, I, I'm going to preface this, and I'm just going to read this as is, and I have no clue whether this Truth Seeker is telling the truth. It's a gimmick account that was just made today. So the fact that it's being posted by a fake account is never a good sign, but I'm going to read it anyway. This is about Daniel Coleman, who just won the one drop uh, tournament for 15 million. I guess now would be the ideal time to post this. For years, he has used various usernames and played tournaments using three or more accounts. He was staked by JJ Prodigy, another multi accounter, for a decent amount of time. He has played on a plethora of usernames on both Full Tilt and Poker Stars. Don't know about other sites. Uh,. <coughs> His old 2 plus 2 name, according to this person, is KSmith2K7. He had an old post on Pocket Fives, uh, which is Mr. Green13, uh, a, a post by Below Above, claiming that uh, he was multi-accounting. This is back in 08, uh, with Below Above writing, comes out of nowhere on... July 12th, 08, and all of a sudden is playing the big buy-ins on Stars. Last night, final table, the 300-200K guarantee. And tonight, he was at my 100-rebuy table, long-time three-betting and four-betting the fuck out of everyone. He obviously plays really well. I was wondering if anyone knew whose second account it was. So, accusation that uh, he was a multi-accounter, that on 
Poker Stars. He was K Smith 2K7, Melville 217, and Don't Taze Me. And then on Full Tilt, Yo Don't Taze Me, RYY or RIIYC 225, and Flop the Nuts 77. And he actually has a banned account supposedly on 2 Plus 2 named Don't Taze Me Bro from Massachusetts. Joined in uh, 2008, last activity 2009. Of course, I'm banned there too, so that doesn't mean that much. <laughs> so, would be interesting if uh, this guy really is a serial cheater and multi-accounter like this guy claims uh, who's posting on 2 plus 2, but we'll have to see. Maybe it'll be a topic for next week's show. Here's the uh, bracelet ceremony for Chad Brown, the honorary bracelet ceremony. He's never won an actual bracelet, but uh, this is the honorary bracelet. He was awarded uh, very close to his death. I wish they didn't have that at the beginning. Of course, winning a WSOP bracelet is one of the ways a poker player can create their legacy to make sure they will be remembered by their peers. But it is not the only way Sometimes there are special people that come around and transcend that traditional scorecard. A person who stands for something like integrity, honor, and friendship. A person who is positive, warm, and respectful. A person who always made the game better just by being around the table. A person like Chad Brown. As many of you know, Chad has been battling serious illness back in New York and is now under hospice care. Throughout his journey, he has been helping many of us get perspective on life and when it throws you bad beats. I want to share with you some of Chad's own words. And I quote, I view my situation like a poker hand. There are only so many correct plays that you can make. And you can make the best play and still lose. But we all have a choice when it comes to how we want to feel about what's going on in our lives. If you want to feel like a victim, that's your choice. I choose not to. I don't feel like a victim. I feel very blessed with the life that I've had. I know many of us feel blessed to have crossed paths with Chad Brown. It now seems a certainty that Chad will never again play in the World Series of Poker or any other tournament setting. So today, the World Series of Poker family would like to award Chad Brown an honorary bracelet. Sharing much of your precious time with us 
all of us in the corporate community. We miss you more than anything, and we wish that you were here. So that was the tribute and honorary bracelet uh, given to Chad Brown. And uh, if you've seen pictures of him from 2009, around that time, 2009, 2010, and the most recent pictures of him playing poker, it's, it's like he aged 25 years. It doesn't look like the same person. And that's what cancer can do to you. Uh, in my time playing with Chad Brown. I've never played with him in a tournament setting, but I played with him at Commerce and the uh, 300, 600, 400, 800 limit games. Uh, always was a nice guy, always pleasant to be around. I didn't know him very well, but uh, I understand why people like him. It is very unfortunate that uh, he is going to die of cancer at such a young age. I think he's in his early 50s. There's been a few false reports that he died. Uh, Barry Greenstein wrote, Chad Brown has left us. Uh, Doyle Brunson tweeted that Chad is, uh, you know, had died. But Victor Romden, who's a good friend of Chad Brown's and actually has uh, donated to this show before, uh, confirmed that Chad Brown is still alive. And there is a picture of Chad Brown wearing his honorary bracelet. Uh, They're not totally clear if he understands what he's wearing, but they thought maybe they got some acknowledgement from him. Uh, it's it's only a matter of a very short time, and uh, it's a sad story. But uh, unfortunately, that has occurred, and uh, he's not going to be with us much longer. So, nice move by the World Series. And, you know, I never understood the Chad Brown, Vanessa Russo relationship, because you have one person who's known to be a, uh, a nice, a nice, friendly, you know, easygoing guy, someone who everyone likes. Now, occasionally someone like that is very different behind closed doors. But most of the time, when someone has that good of a reputation, there's a reason for it. So you have someone like that, and you have Vanessa Russo, who's known to be obnoxious to people at the table and condescending and berates fish at the table and just uh, just someone who is not very well thought of, at least by their personality. It just seemed like an odd couple. She seems very full of herself. And um, I don't know her very well. I have watched her berate fish at the table. Not at my table, but at other tables. Uh, They were married, and Russo divorced him in 2012, which I thought was strange. Because by then he was already sick. Even if the marriage is crappy, unless you absolutely hate the person, you might as well stick it out till the end. And uh, not put them through a divorce when they're in that condition. Especially because 
even if you don't really want to be married to them anymore, you know there's not that much more time. Just, you know, don't don't do that at the end of their life. At least let them finish their life without going through a divorce. Even if you're not thrilled with the marriage, you know, you know it's going to be done soon anyway. At least they'll die without having to have gone through that. So I, I, I thought that spoke a lot about her. Now, we don't know what happened behind closed doors with Vanessa and Chad. I mean, it's possible it was his fault. But... I don't know, maybe he left her, who knows But uh, the fact that in the condition he was That the divorce occurred I think Does say something about uh, Vanessa So, I wonder how she feels right now wonder if anyone asked her about it uh, By the way, a tweet from Danielle Anderson Known as D-Moon Girl Who also has a good reputation She's known to be a uh, a, a nice, straightforward, uh, kind of down-to-earth person, you know, a f- mother, married, uh, known to be mature, not one who starts a lot of drama. She tweeted, surprised by how many people I respect who are happy for Coleman, that is the one-drop winner, won't go into details, but he's always been a huge douche to me. Wow. I don't know. If this unearths a lot of bad stories about Daniel Coleman, he may wish he didn't win. Sometimes it really is better that you stay out of the public eye. Sometimes it's better that you don't win something like this. So. This will be something to watch over the next week for sure. I had not even heard of this Daniel Coleman guy. Has anyone seen any statement from Vanessa Russo, by the way, about Chad Brown? She, have you seen anything from her? Any kind of statements about how she feels bad for him or about his condition or wishes him well? Or, like, have you seen anything or she said nothing about it? It's just so weird that she was once married to him recently. And, and I've seen nothing from her regarding the condition he's in. Anyway, um... At the end of the show last week, Seriously Serious called in, and we talked about a variety of topics, and I complained about Kevmath, who's a listener to this show. I complained about Kevmath that he is always so pro-poker fraud alert on Twitter. He even posts here sometimes. He, he retweets threads that I post on poker fraud alert. Uh, he retweets retweets even announcements about this show. This is a guy who, despite being busy with a lot of things for his job in the poker media, despite him being someone that is, you know, very well respected as a poker journalist, uh, has still taken a lot of time out to pay a lot of attention to Poker Fraud Alert and me specifically. So why would I complain about that? Well, when I would see Kevmath around the hallways at the World Series, both last year and this year, um, it, it just seemed like he never acknowledged I existed. He never said anything to me. And I didn't think it was malicious. I just thought, uh, you know, either that he maybe thought I was busy and didn't want to talk to him or, or just was had his mind on other things. You know, I knew that Kev Math was pro-poker fraud alert and pro-me, but I, I didn't understand why 
I was being kind of ignored in the Rio hallways. It made me cry. Well, I mentioned this on the show last week, and Kev Math did come up to me during the 10K limit event and made a point to uh, talk to me and to tell me that you know this wasn't personal and that uh, you know usually he's just kind of focused on what he's doing and uh, basically not to read anything out of it. And I I wasn't totally serious last week. I, I did kind of wish that. Kev Math had been talking to me more, but I wasn't serious about it. I was happy that, uh, you know, Kev Math and I at least had a good online relationship. Uh, but anyway, I went to go pick up my $10 daily voucher for food, which I get as a member of the media. Yes, I'm a member of the media. If you doubt that, then look what you're doing right now. You're listening to this show that makes me the media. It's a show about poker. But anyway, I was picking up my $10 a day media voucher and the they only have two people there who are allowed to distribute it and those two people were not there. So I walked away and I saw Kev Math and he said hello to me. And, uh, and by the way, I gave him a PFA hat, which he deserves, believe me. But... Uh, I, I saw Kev Math and we started talking and I told him why I was over there and I was trying to get the uh, the voucher and I couldn't find the person. So Kev Math reaches into his wallet and hands me a voucher. Now at this point I felt bad because I wasn't trying to tell a sob story to Kev Math to get free food out of him. Like if he was the one distributing the vouchers, I'd be happy to take them. But he was giving me one of his personal vouchers that he could have used to buy $10 worth of food at the Rio. And I thought, you know, no matter, even if he is able to eat every day despite giving me the voucher, you know, these are always valuable to have because if you have more of them, you can combine them and have a nicer meal. You can have a more expensive meal. So I kept telling him, no, I don't want to take your voucher. And I wasn't trying to say that, you know, I should have your voucher if I can't find the person to give me my voucher. And I, like, I kept telling that to him, but he kept insisting that he has enough of them and that he wants me to have it. And then he said, look... Uh, you know, I want to give you this because you were unhappy about, uh, you know, how I hadn't been acknowledging you in the hallways. So, uh, as an act of contrition here, here's a $10 voucher. So please take it. So I said, okay. And I took the $10 voucher and the beef has been squashed. Kev Math has atoned for his past sins by giving me a $10 food voucher. Now, don't you think that I was satisfied with it? I was satisfied with KevMath, but I wasn't satisfied for the day. So I actually came back there one more time about an hour later, and I did find the guy who hands out the vouchers, and he gave me the daily voucher as well. So I got two vouchers that day. Now, I'm not swimming in vouchers because I've been using them. I only have one right now. And I'm not in Vegas, so believe me, it pains me to not be in Vegas and not be able to collect this every day. I I kind of just wanted to be in Vegas all seven weeks of the World Series so I can get seven weeks worth of vouchers. It it hurts me to not be able to get that $10 voucher every day. I, I kind of wish that I had a twin living in Vegas who could come down and pick up those vouchers the days I am not in Vegas. So if you look like me, by the way, uh, let me know and maybe we can arrange something. But uh, 
I will be picking them up again when I return to Vegas in a few days. And thank you, Kev Math, for the $10 voucher. I will think of you as I'm wolfing down a salmon from Buzio's or a burger from the American Bar and Grill or whatever else I choose to eat. Maybe a meatball at Matarano's, which I had the other day. Wherever I choose to go in the Rio, I will think of you as that food goes down my gullet. So thank you, Kazmath. And this more than makes up for not saying hello to me in the hallway. And he has been a lot better with that, too. People in the chat room telling me I should return the spirit of Kevmath. Then someone else is saying, keep asking him for more. So we have a disagreement in the chat room. Someone thinks I should give him back the extra one he gave me because I ended up getting it. And the other one is saying that uh, I should hit him up for more. Uh, Beer and Poker asking me, how far does $10 get you in those places? Um, not that far, but it's not as expensive as you think. So it's a little overpriced, but not that bad. And it depends what you order, of course. Uh, There is a weird idiosyncrasy with them in that they're not supposed to charge tax because they're considered a a comp. And the system incorrectly charges tax for them. And where this causes me a problem is that I never use cash to pay for food at the Rio because I have a lot of credits on my total rewards card. So if I don't have one of these vouchers, or if I buy something that's worth more than the voucher is, then I pay the remainder of my total rewards card. So what ends up happening is, let's say I have two vouchers and I get an item that's $29. So the way it should be is I use two vouchers that makes it worth 20 and then the other nine should be charged my total rewards card. The problem is that the $20, the first 20 actually gets taxed erroneously, and the system gets confused and doesn't know what to do, and just gets stuck on this, like, $2 a tax or whatever and you can't pay for that with your total rewards card because it's an error on the system and the total rewards doesn't know how to process it. So every time I keep running into this and I keep trying to explain it to them that uh, uh, that it's a mistake and I've had to educate every single one of the eateries I've been at. I've like talked to every manager and explained it to them and the reason I started doing that is the first time this happened I had an obnoxious bartender telling me that I need to pay cash for this and uh, when I told him look I don't have any cash on me which is true like I didn't I didn't have any cash on me at the time um, and I said look I don't have any cash to pay for this and he says alright I'll just take it out of my own pocket and pay don't worry about it and I'm like what an asshole to just try to make me feel guilty like this I'm like look it's a mistake in the system I'm not trying to say I can't afford my meal it's a mistake in the system I don't, I don't bring cash to these restaurants because I, I don't, I'm not supposed to need it Um, how do I tip? Well, I either tip by signing to my room or by bringing cash, but I tip after I get the meal and you pay before the meal when you do take out. So that's why I didn't have cash with me at the time. And, uh, after the guy acted this way to me, I didn't give him any, uh, any tip. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't appreciate the guilt trip. All right, dude, don't worry about it. I'll just take it out of my pocket. It's like, screw you. F- fix the problem. I explained to him exactly what the problem is, and he's he's trying to make me feel guilty. I am Greek asking, why do I need these? Doesn't 7-star include my meals? Now, 7-star gives me nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, I have 
reward credits I earned over the years that I've just been very Jewishly hoarding and not spending very much. And that's why I, but those are, those have real value. I could trade those in for free play. So they're not just like useless comps that I could just go, you know, fritter away on food. I mean, I can, but they would be wasting money because I could trade those for free play and make real money out of it. Uh, Stealth Monk. Stealth Monk tweeted, Yo ESPN, I have like five to six very good Daniel Coleman stories I will tell in detail for $20,000. Will only get paid if it makes the TV cut hit me up. Come on, Stealth Monk. If you've got some stories to tell, tell them. Don't try to get ESPN to pay you. What the hell, dude? That's infamous Twitter. The Diamond Lounge is crap, by the way. Someone asked me why don't I go eat the Diamond Lounge. The Diamond Lounge is like uh, bread and uh, hummus and nothing you'd want to eat for a meal. Like, I guess it's okay if you're hungry, you want to have a quick snack, but uh, some crappy chicken wings, like, uh, it's nothing worth it. Um, Grenada Rogers saying in, in chat that I'm wrong about the comps. No, they, those things are, are actually not, um, those are actually considered, uh, comps. They're not, uh, they're not just coupons. They, they really should be, uh, uh, any kind of comp at the casino. Uh, there's no tax charge on them by Nevada state law. The only way there's tax charged is if it's a third party tax situation where, uh, for example, if, um, Caesars gives me a voucher to eat at a restaurant they don't own. Uh, then I have to pay tax because um, it, it's it's a different situation. But comps, it's a matter of, you know, you, you never have to pay tax if a sale doesn't occur, basically. So if, if I'm getting food from them, it doesn't matter what the value of the food is. If they're giving me the food for free, I don't have to pay sales tax for it. That's, that's basically the way it works. Huh, that thread about Coleman has been deleted. Well, fortunately, I have it up on uh, on my screen. I'm going to capture it and repost it on Poker for Outler. I just won't close that window. Thank you for telling me, hockey guy. I, I really wish we had another day before the show. I wish we had the show on Wednesday, and I, this would be more fleshed out. I, I think a lot's going to come out between uh, today and tomorrow, and especially the next week. All right, um... Talk about uh, PSU Mike, nineteen ninety nine, Michael Borovitz, the career scammer. Uh, he posted about a thousand times on two plus two over the last two and a half years. He posted in a lot of threads I was interested in. He seemed to be interested in scammer threads. There, kind of ironic, given that he was a scammer himself. So I saw a lot of him there because I was interested in scammer threads, but for a different reason. So he was the one who reported the. Incident at the Rio where a floor staff member was demanding bribes to run the sit-and-go satellites. And uh, his report was true and correct, so nothing wrong with that. But it turned out that the guy who was reporting this shady behavior, this scamish behavior by a Rio employee, is a scammer himself. We talked about that last week. His name is Michael Borovitz. And uh, uh, basically he hangs out at airports and spins a complex story about how his flight got canceled, how he has a, um, a hotel at the Ramada Inn and a room there, but he doesn't have a way to get back now that, um, you know, basically the flight got canceled. He was trying to go to a job interview, and the whole thing messed up his life, and now he had to get a hotel, and 
he needs to borrow three hundred dollars and uh, the whole BS story. And Southwest can't help him right now. It, it's always some form of that where the airline screwed me. I need to go to a job interview across the country and please give me $300. I promise I'll pay you double when I get back home. He shows his ID. He shows all this evidence that he claims is, is you know proving that he's really telling the truth. And then, of course, he takes the money and goes and gambles with it and never pays anyone. So this all came out last week. And uh, it was very clear that PSU Mike 1999, a.k.a. Michael Borowitz, is a scammer. By the way, he he's played in this year's World Series and even cashed. Uh, the new development, and this was, uh, this happened shortly after last week's radio show, he came out on 2 Plus 2 and admitted that the accusations against him were true and made a number of long posts telling everyone about his last 15 years. You want to hear about a degenerate. This is what he wrote. I just now read through the whole thread, and let me state this emphatically. Everything the initial poster has stated is 100% true. How often do you see that? Usually it's like everything they stated is false. No, everything they've stated about me is true. I'm guilty. I'm not going to come on here and try to minimize anything or justify anything. I have a serious compulsive gambling addiction, which I think is safe to say has ruined my life in so many ways. I really did graduate from Penn State in 1999 with a degree in chemical engineering and had the whole world at my feet. Instead of working hard at my job and doing things the right way, I chose to use any excuse to gamble and gamble and gamble. I became so compulsively addicted that not only did I get fired from various jobs as an engineer and a sales engineer, I also started getting a nice welcome to the criminal justice system because I was a degenerate who needed and wanted money to play. I would like to state that I'm actually relieved this thread was started because in all likelihood it would have happened eventually anyway. I promise to be open and answer any questions any of you have for me. I will now write a brief summary of what led up to me hustling money at airports. Uh, If anything good can come out of this thread, I hope I can eventually be forgiven and hope to turn my life around. So you can already see where he's going with this. uh, This is sort of the uh, mea culpa... I'm so sorry you guys caught me. I'm going to be totally honest situation so people can think better of him and maybe he can take advantage of them in the future. You'll, you'll see little indications of this as I, I read on. I know that some have posted about me on here, have had personal inter- interactions with me at a table and might not ever like me, and that's fine. I understand in life you're not going to get along with everyone. All I know is that it's depressing and sad that I'm 39 years old and feel the need to embarrass myself in an airport and try to scrounge up a few hundred bucks, which will only be used to try and turn into more money playing pie gal. The airport thing has really become a never-ending cycle. One, give a story to try to get money. Two, gamble money to try to win more money so I don't have to go to the airport anymore. Three, lose all the money in the pit and go back to number one. Or win money, leave, and come back the next day thinking I can win more and proceed to lose it all. I want to quickly add this. Mike Littleman Sicka, by the way, who died recently, uh, knew about what I was doing at airports for a few years. That's why he offered to back me a couple of years ago. Him and I sat down together, and we had a very long talk early 2012. He always had a soft spot for me over the years since I met him at the end of 2004 at the Taj. 
He knew I had a gambling problem and how I couldn't trust myself with large amounts of money. He always helped me out with some going away money from these different venues because nine times out of ten, I would lose everything playing Pai Gao before the poker tournaments were even over. He didn't want me to have to go to the airport and give dumb stories for a few hundred bucks. He offered to put me in tournaments and he would hold on to my winnings so I wouldn't lose the money back in the pits. He was like a father to me and he wanted me to hit that big score that we all want so I would never have to borrow, lie, hustle money from anyone again. I came close a few times before he died but just couldn't do it. By the way, of course this is ridiculous because it doesn't matter what a compulsive gambler wins. He will keep trying to win more. He will lose all his money. It doesn't matter if he has $50 million to find a way to lose it quickly. So the one big score is not what a, a compulsive gambler needs. He went on to write, I don't want to waste tons and tons of space on my backstory, but I feel it's important to try to explain what led me to have this double life of poker player and pit gambler slash airport hustler. I started getting really heavy into gambling right after I graduated from Penn State in 1999. I took a job with DuPont as a chemical engineer in Clinton, Iowa, in the middle of nowhere, and I absolutely hated it. I was super depressed and right away realized there were three riverboat casinos within a 10-minute drive from my apartment. Before long, I was calling in sick to work, gambling at these boats almost every hour of the day. I soon lost all the money, maxed out my new credit card, and had to take out a loan from the credit union to pay my rent. Within two months, I was fired and given a $7,500 severance check. I told my parents what happened, and they didn't understand any of this. They're both hardworking people. How could they understand gambling or instant gratification lifestyles? My parents actually hired some financial planner for me in Iowa to manage the 7500 and told me to go to Gamblers Anonymous immediately. I did, and at the same time was looking on Monster.com for a new job in a better city. I was telling myself that I only went off the deep end gambling because I was in a boring place with a boring job. I wish that was why. Found a new job in March of 2000 with an industrial gas company in Irvine, California. It was a sales job, and they give you a car and base salary was 50k plus 25k in commission. What's really interesting is, uh, in the 90s, I actually had a girlfriend whose father worked for, I believe, what company, uh, you know, he says he's working for here, and that's exactly what her father got was 50k plus uh, commission. I also was given a gas credit card, laptop, cell phone, and $5,000 relocation bonus check. I thought my troubles were over. Well, before I left Iowa, I was told by Gamblers Anonymous members I had to go to meetings in California or I would relapse. I wish I would have listened. I didn't go to any meetings and within one month spotted all the L.A. card rooms and visited them all. Of course, a game, uh, of course it was only a matter of time before I lost all my money again and started writing bad checks. I learned a game called Pi Gow at these places and it became my game of choice. This is in March 2000, by the way. Uh, soon I had no money at all and called my father begging for a loan. I told him California was an expensive place to live and I didn't have enough money to cover my rent. My father trusted me, wanted to believe me, and wired me 6K. That money was gone in two hours. Soon I was fired once again, the car taken away, and was left with no job, no money, didn't know what to do. After I was fired, I was basically living in these casinos. Hollywood Park at the time had an upstairs sleeping room. If you played enough, they would let you sleep upstairs. That place became my second home, and it was awful. I was desperate for money, and after getting fired from my second job, my parents and any other family members cut me off. I started calling a few of my good college friends, giving them any story I could think of about begging them for money. They Western Union to a few thousand, and all I did was gamble it away. My apartment complex in Irvine then told me they were starting eviction proceedings, so I was stressed and couldn't even think straight. Around the end of September, I was just walking around Hawaiian Gardens Casino, which, by the way, is a 
crappy place in a crappy area. When I was approached by these two black guys, not being racist, just mentioning they were black, they told me they've seen me around a lot and asked if I needed money. Needed money? I heard that and I perked up real fast. Of course, the money I needed, I, I, of course I needed money, I told them. The guy told me that he knew a guy who worked for a company that he could get his hands on a few big checks made out to that company from certain vendors or something. He told me his buddy could change the paid-out name on the check to my name and that we could deposit the checks and split the money three ways. Yeah, nothing go wrong there. He asked if I had a checking account, and I told him yes. Basically, he wanted me to deposit altered checks made payable to me in my bank account and withdraw the money every day. So you see what they're doing. They're, uh, they're, they're using altered checks and finding some chump to, to cash them while their name isn't known. And they know the chump's going to get caught, uh, caught eventually. Uh, me, in total despair, desperate and not thinking, clearly told him okay. He said even if they eventually catch on, it would be years and that nothing would really happen to me. I don't know if I even thought of the consequences of all this. All I thought of how I could get my hands on thousands of dollars to play pie gal with. So within a few days, I deposited 24000 approximately of uh, four altered checks into my bank account and started withdrawing the money. The first time I withdrew 6k, I believe the next time I withdrew 4400 The third day, the bank got suspicious and stalled me while they called the police. When the police showed up, those two guys were, who were always waiting their car outside from the bank were gone, and I was arrested for one count of defrauding a financial institution. Welcome to my introduction to the criminal justice system. I was taken into custody and booked in the Anaheim Police Department. My bail was set at 10K. I called another really close college friend and roommate and asked if he could bail me out. After some coercing, he called a bondsman in Anaheim and got me released. I was told that some detectives were going to follow up and speak with me, but my first act was to try to hire a lawyer. Amazingly, I hadn't gambled all the money that was split with me in the first two withdrawals, so I had about 2700 hidden in my soon-to-be-evicted apartment. I looked up lawyers in the phone book and eventually found a guy who was willing to take $2,500. Looking back, no good lawyer would take $2,500, but, but he was fairly new and I had no other option. Believe it or not, I was still hanging out at casinos, begging for money anyone I could, even dealers I had previously tipped when I won on occasion. Can you believe that? He's tipping the dealer? Or he's asking for what dealers he tipped to tip him back. <laughs> uh, I'd be begging them for a $25 chick chip so I could run it up hopefully it was pathetic eventually my attorney called me and said he was able to negotiate a deal for me he told me that I was charged with seven felonies and he was about to get them to drop three of them and I would plead guilty to four felonies and get 90 days in jail and three years felony probation again looking back I would have never taken that deal especially since I had no criminal record but since my parents weren't speaking to me and I had no one advising me I listened to him and accepted that crappy offer I ended up pleading guilty to, to felony altered document, felony defrauding of a financial institution, felony second-degree burglary, and felony forgery. I was scared about this 90-day Orange County jail part, and I found this impatient Jewish rehab, this guy's a Jew, uh, in L.A. that dealt with these types of addictions. I told my attorney about it, and he successfully got the DA to allow me to do this rehab for six months mandatory instead of the 90 days jail time. The sad part is I ended up going to jail in Orange County for 90 days anyway, months later. Now, I'm going to stop here. Aside from the very degenerate story and the uh, uh, the begging and uh, the, uh, the the scamming with the checks, what's wrong here? What's wrong here is that he's saying that he ended up getting a cheap lawyer for $2,500 that screwed him over that he should have never taken this deal, that this lawyer just uh, didn't do a good job for him. Because after all, he had no criminal convictions in the past. So 
all he got, you know, this crappy lawyer, all he got out of it was a, a six months uh, inpatient treatment program. Boy, that lawyer could have done him a lot better. Can you imagine? He was caught dead to rights with altered checks for tens of thousands of dollars that he cheated the bank out of. They had him. And this lawyer was not only able to get some of these charges dropped, but able to get the sins reduced all the way down to 90 days, and then got them to agree to uh, exchange that for a six-month treatment program for gambling addiction? Are you kidding me? And he's not happy with that for $2,500? I mean, that's I want that lawyer. Give me that lawyer's name. I'm going to hire him if I ever get in trouble. That lawyer did great. For 2500 bucks. having him dead to rights for felony check fraud, he doesn't do a day in jail. That's pretty damn good. And he's bitching about the lawyer. And instead of saying this lawyer was a lifesaver, I, I can't believe I found a guy for uh, 2500 bucks. Um, and he paid the lawyer with stolen money, as being pointed out in the chat room by Lou Father. Uh, instead of being grateful that the lawyer did all this for him for 2500 bucks, uh, he's complaining. So you can already see a sense of entitlement here. This isn't really someone who is uh, feeling bad about what he did. This is someone bitching about his lawyer for not getting him off as much as he thought. Yes, yes, he ended up with a felony conviction, but, I mean, he didn't spend a day in jail. He did pretty damn well considering the circumstances. So, I'm not going to read the whole rest of this. It's very long, and I have other things to cover. If you want to read the rest, you can go to the thread, which is entitled More Fail at the Rio, Floor Staff Member Demanding Bribes. That was the original story before, you know, when he reported it. Uh, and then scroll down and you'll see these uh, copies of the posts that I put up here. But basically, uh, he was in and out of rehabs uh, for gambling addiction from 2001 on. And it was this endless cycle. He kept ditching out on the rehabs. Uh, he stiffed a hotel by uh, um, claiming he had money to stay there, but really just staying there for free because he had lost it all and, and lying to them for weeks and getting arrested for that. Uh, you know, When he would shoot off money at casinos, he would get comps. And then when he'd be broke, he'd try to sell the comps, like the comp tickets to like Madonna concerts. And then they'd kick him out of the casino for that because you're not supposed to sell your comps. So they had this cycle over and over. And uh, he started doing the airport thing basically because he was originally doing it at hotels. And, and someone who was uh, helping him do the hotel scam suggested airports were even better. Because you had a lot of businessmen traveling through there, a lot of people in a rush, a lot of people who if you give them a good story uh, will cough up the money quickly. So um, you can read all that. I'm not going to read the whole rest of this. But here's a post after he posted his whole story. I will, I will read this and then conclude this topic. Um, apparently, he is not done with gambling. He went to the Rio. He, he claims he still had 5K to his name. I don't know where it came from. I'm scamming, I'm presuming. But he's, he still has 5K. 
And instead of taking the 5K and trying to start his life over after this whole thing came out, he's trying again to run it up at the Rio. He, he's trying to run up that big score. He, he played the monster stack there, the same tournament I played. And 8,000 people played. He was trying to get a big store, score at the monster stack because that, that big score is going to solve all his problems. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, he did go to jail, by the way. He went to jail in, in 2008 for, for like nine months for that what, one of those hotels he stiffed. But um, just like Beer and Poker saying, he could run it up to 150k to 50k and he'd go broke because nothing will be good enough for him. I mean, the truth is, he's run it up over 100k and shot it all off right away. It doesn't matter what he wins. He could win $1.3 million from the, the monster stack, and he'd shoot it all off. So it's so ridiculous for him at this point to still be saying. It's not like he's saying back then uh, no amount was enough for him. He's still saying that he just needs that one big score, which is ridiculous. You know that's not true. Uh, but anyway, this is what he writes at the end uh, regarding you know, people are asking, why are you still hanging out in Vegas? What are you still doing there if you're really trying to reform? He says, yes, I'm going to leave Vegas tomorrow, but I don't really know yet where I'm go- what I'm going to do, etc. This lifestyle really is all that I've known for the past 14 years, and a lot of you, just like a lot of you guys have posted, it's really going to be difficult for me to change. How can I reprogram my brain to work 50 hours a week for very little when I could potentially bink a tournament for five or six figures and get that gambling action rush in the casino? I really have been homeless since the getting evicted in 2000 from Irvine. I really have been living in hotels and motels ever since. Uh, contrary to what that guy uh, Monterey says, I think writing a book about my life would make a very interesting read and might be able to allow me to earn a legitimate income from it. Little man Mike Sika thought so too and talked about doing something, but we never got it off the ground. Uh, the airport thing is definitely wrong, and I wish that I had never even thought of that. But like some people said in this thread, I, I guess that's like a rush also giving some made-up story and watching the guy go to the ATM and hand me 300 and then hitting the next guy up. So he's already talking about how, he, you know, in almost in a way like he's bragging about it, like it was a rush. Uh, one thing I want to add, uh, he says, I know I'm no Phil Ivey at the poker table, but I can hold my own in a no-limit tournament. And then he goes on to list all his results, which I won't bother reading. Uh, this really looks like he's angling for stakes, that he's coming out with this whole thing saying, okay, I'm not going to scam at the airport. I shouldn't have done that. It's wrong. I've told you guys the truth. I've bared my soul. And I'm a good player, so stake me. He doesn't directly say that, but that's what he's doing this for. That's the whole reason for this. That's the reason. And he doesn't talk about feeling bad for the people he screwed. He, he very briefly touches on it, but you could tell this is not someone who feels guilty. He feels bad for himself. He feels his life is pathetic, I believe that, but he doesn't feel bad for his victims, and he's not coming clean because he deserve, he thinks you deserve to know or because he wants to change. He's coming clean so you can think that this is all behind him, and now he's just a good player you can stake in a poker tournament. So don't give this guy a penny. He doesn't deserve it. All right, I'm running a little short on time here. Um, I thought I'd get faster through all this. Uh, let me quickly cover a few topics, and then uh, I will shut this down. Uh, unfortunately, I have some things I have to do tonight that uh, can't wait much longer. It's all Brandon's fault for making it deep. It's all Brandon's fault. If we didn't have the Brandon segment, I think we 
we get through everything. All right. Uh, Johannes Strassmann found dead in Slovenia by a river. We've talked about the last two weeks that, uh, or last week, actually, not two weeks, but uh, Johannes Strassmann disappeared in Ljubljana, Slovenia, which is a place with a very low crime rate. So it's it was kind of questionable whether he was kidnapped or murdered or something, but uh, he was hanging out with some guys. He uh, walked away from them, and it's the last they saw of Johannes Strassmann. It was worried that uh, for three days no one had heard from him. It was very unlike him. He was there to meet up with some high-stakes players he knew. He is a high-stakes player, cash player himself. Very well-liked, very good reputation. A body was found. I heard nude, by the way, but I don't know for sure. I heard it was found nude by a river in the area, and it was confirmed to be Johannes Strassmann. So he is deceased now, and uh, there's various theories. He was murdered, he was suicide, uh, he was on drugs and drowned in the river. Uh, Right now, most people are leaning toward accidental, maybe through some sort of uh, issue with uh, drinking or drugs. But these are just guesses. It's not known yet, so... I'm assuming more will be found out soon, but uh, Johannes Strassmann uh, is no longer with us. Sean Drake made a World Series of Poker final table. He had about 10 people on the rail wearing a t-shirt saying on the front, play like Drake, play like Drake and rape. Play like Drake in the front, and and rape was on the back. Now, I'm sure that the joke is supposed to be play like Drake and rake is what it's supposed to be. And someone he knew probably changed it to rape and they got a good laugh out of it. But that's an inside joke. You don't wear that watching your buddy play the final table. You don't wear rape shirts when your friend is at the final table. You don't support him with shirts about rape. Now, I understand nobody was actually hurt, nobody was actually raped, but it's a pretty serious topic, rape, and you don't make jokes about it, especially when you don't wear T-shirts about rape when watching someone at the final table play for life-changing money. Uh, These people were eventually forced to change their shirts, by the way. Uh, It didn't seem like that he was very uh, apologetic about it. I saw tweets from him saying that sticks and stones break bones, but, uh, names don't ever, or something like that. Uh, trying to say, Hey, no one actually got hurt. It was just words on a shirt, but that's, that's not, uh, that's not a good answer. I don't know if he endorsed or approved of this shirt or if they just wore it without his knowledge, but I have to think he knew. And that's just a totally inappropriate thing to be wearing in public. And, uh, you know, if they have a private joke amongst themselves about play like Drake and rape, fine. But don't bring that joke in public. That is definitely not appropriate. Jose Canseco was spotted at a $330 buy-in satellite at the stratosphere of all places. And he walked in wearing his own Jose Canseco jersey. 
I mean, it's one thing for me to wear a Jose Canseco jersey if I'm a fan of his, but to wear your own jersey is, is kind of sad. Uh, but also, I found it sad that he's playing a satellite. Now, I know some people disagreed with me on this, but I find satellites to not be any fun. Satellites are events that don't have any prestige unless you go sell your lammers that you win. You don't win anything from a satellite. You just uh, uh, win the ability to enter a larger tournament, which 90% of the people don't cash. Satellites are just not fun things to do. Satellites, you do that if you want to enter a bigger buy-in event that you either can't afford or don't want to pay for. I've played satellites before, and I've never had a bit of fun at them. Everybody around me is not having fun. Everybody around me is just kind of stressing, hey, will I get this seat, or am I throwing good money after bad? I can't see a casual player enjoying a satellite or playing it for fun. I can only see a casual player doing a satellite if he thinks without the satellite that he can't or won't play the bigger event that he's really trying to play. Now, the bigger event in this case wasn't something gigantic like the one drop or the 50K horse. He he was trying to play a $4,000 tournament in Aruba. <laughs> now, again, I'm not trying to get up on my high horse and say that anyone who plays a 330 satellite to get into a 4K tournament uh, is sad. For the average person, that's not sad at all. In fact, I might even do something like that myself. However, when you're Jose Canseco, one of the Bash brothers, one of the best-known baseball players in the past generation, if you want to play poker recreationally, fine. If you want to play low limits just because it's fun, fine. But to play a satellite to get in the event you really want to play, that's only 4K, after all the money you made in baseball, after all the money you still can make, uh, doing speeches, appearances, uh, autograph signings, uh, baseball clinics, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of earning potential still for Jose Canseco. Not millions and millions like he used to make as a player, but, but still he can make 4K very quickly. And the fact that he's actually having to enter a satellite at a scummy casino like the Stratosphere to be able to play the event he really wants to play, uh, to me is just sad. Not sad for the average person, but sad for Jose Canseco. When I saw Jose Canseco playing in the World Series against the Dodgers in 1988, I didn't picture that I would see him playing in the Stratosphere. Well, it didn't exist then, but seeing him in some crappy casino playing a tournament to win a seat at another tournament. It just seems like kind of a how the mighty have fallen sort of thing. So I can understand playing lower limits if... You enjoy lower limits or just enjoy the game just because it's fun. I can understand entering tournaments like the 4K in Aruba just because you want to and like poker. But I can't see entering a satellite for fun. And I'm pretty convinced that Jose Canseco was not entering for fun. He was entering because he needed it if he wanted to play that 4K event. Let me give you a different example before I move on. Let's say you saw Jose Canseco at your 1-2 no-limit game. You're like, oh, wow, Jose Canseco. And you ask, hey, Jose, what are you doing in this game? And he says, oh, you know, I just like 1-2 hold'em. I, I think it's fun. I, I just enjoy playing these limits. You say, oh, okay, cool. 
Jose just wants to play like the rest of us at a uh, a little limit poker game and have some fun and not really worry about the money. Cool, no problem. But what if Jose said to you, oh, I'm here because I'm trying to win $4,000 so I can play in the Aruba tournament. You'd say, oh my God, Jose is trying to grind 1-2 so he can get $4,000 to play a tournament? Wow. Can't believe Jose Canseco of all people. Wow, that's kind of sad. Like, I'm sure you'd say that if you had that conversation with him in a 1-2 game, but, but yet a lot of people don't want to say that about a satellite, almost like he was just playing it for fun. There's no way he was playing that for fun. There's no way. So, I mean, it's not bad. He can do it. It's just kind of sad. Someone asking for a Never Heap update. I don't have that. Uh, Showboats Atlantic City, which is a Caesars property, is going to close. Not much more to say about that, except uh, Caesars is struggling, and they're closing their worst-performing property in Atlantic City. Uh, the union there claims it's profitable and they're angry that it's closing. It's hard for me to believe, though, that they would close it if it were profitable. It has to be losing money. I think the union is deluding itself. Ultimate Poker, they released new software. And I want to read to you some of the exciting new features in the Ultimate Poker software, which, by the way, was uh, not very well regarded originally. So... I'm going to read you what is uh, I'm going to read you the new features in their software. I'm trying to find it here. Here we are. Here are the Great new features of Ultimate Poker's software. The table now has a link to the previous hand report, making it quick and easy to review what just happened. <laughs> this is 2014, people. You can see your hand histories now. You can just click on the hand and see what happened. New feature. New feature. Haven't, not like we've had that for over 10 years. A time bank. Players can now click on a button to request more time for an important or difficult decision. (laughs) A time bank in a tournament. What a novel concept. Uh, Opponents can now be color-coded for instant identification of player types. (laughs) Yeah, I've never been able to do that before. Labeling players. Um, Tournament rebuy and add-on displays in the tournament lobby are now available. advanced stuff there. Oh, if there's a full table, now they have a wait list. (laughs) I I wish I was joking about this stuff. They're really uh, trumpeting that now they have a waiting list for full tables. They had that in 1999 when I played on... uh, I didn't play. When people played on uh, Planet Poker, they had a wait list. Um, Auto bonusing allows real-time tracking and receipt of bonuses. So now, now you don't just get bonuses You can see where you are with uh, Receiving them Good job guys Bang up job uh, The sad thing here is you know, They have improved the software And the software has gotten better But uh, first of all These were very basic needs That they left out in the first place Now you can say Okay They were first to market They had to skimp in some areas But uh, 
these weren't difficult features to implement in the first place. I don't know how a lot of these slip by. But the worst thing is Ultimate Poker still is not getting it. The way they're going to attract people is not by catching up and adding features that uh, all the other poker rooms have. And they should do that too. They need to run amazing promotions to get some customer loyalty. They need to find a way to attract people. Even if it means running the site rake-free for a short time. Do something to get people to want to open that software, deposit, and play. Maybe reward people for getting games going. Maybe start hiring props. Do something. Updating your software to 2001 standard is not going to do it for you. So, again... They have a lot of smart and talented people working for Ultimate Poker, but somehow it's just not happening. They're just not putting it together right. They're just not doing the simple things they could be doing to grab some of that market share. So. Maybe one day they'll catch on. Maybe one day. Want to give an update here? On Brandon, still doesn't show him any. Doesn't show what he. It's the same 175k it's claiming he has, so it uh, can't give you an update. But uh, I, I guess they're one away from the money right now. Not that we think he won't cash. It's it's pretty sure he's going to cash. Uh, this was not on the agenda, but I'll quickly get to it and then I'll shut down the show. I'll wait till the next week for the editorial about the splitting the World Series because that's kind of a, a long talk. Uh, breaking news that I will give you this way. Drop. Yeah, bad guy. You're, you're, you're Drop. Of, yeah. Talk. I'm outside the compound, bro. I'm outside the toy center. The air still playing. I'm going to get the $7,500 back right now, Brian. Me and Yeb are out here, brother. Can you what? hear me? Yeah, what? It's a, it's a, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, shut the fuck up. We're outside Toy Center, man. I'm going to go in and get it for you, buddy. Answer in five minutes. I'm telling you, just answer in five minutes. Thank you. This is so weird. He's claiming he's outside Choice Center. And he's going to get me the $7,500 back that we lost. This is so weird. I don't even know what to say about that. Um, I guess I'll wait five minutes. So talk about Dutch Boyd. Dutch Boyd has apologized to 2 plus 2. A letter was published today on 2 plus 2 that was sent by Dutch Boyd. Now, by the way, um, Mason Malamute did collect the 60K through a last-minute motion that was filed in the middle of the night, basically, to uh, when Dutch Boyd won his bracelet recently. So, in the letter dated June 24th, Dutch apologized to Mason and 2 plus 2 saying that he now realizes what he did was wrong. He said, it, it makes no difference how much money I may have made from this domain or when you ultimately obtained it. Cyber squatting is stealing and the act of registration itself led to a lawsuit against me. 
So he went on to say that, uh, I hope he can put this entire matter behind us and remind cordially to each other moving forward. And someone asked Mason, do you accept his apology? And Mason says, we'll see what happens. (laughs) So, um... He also went on to say, specifically, this means that the apology is conditionally accepted, but uh, we'll watch and see how Boyd behaves in the future, and that will determine our final position. Also, and I'm sure there's some interest here, we did receive a payment of 60000 from Boyd. And then uh, someone asked Mason what he's going to do with the sixty k, And um, since supposedly this wasn't about the money, it was about setting a precedent. And Mason responded saying the money was going towards paying for 2 plus 2's legal fees, which is... Not true, because it's not all the legal fees. The legal fees is like half of it. So, you were Dear Mason, I'm writing to apologize both to 2 plus 2 and to you personally for my actions leading to your company's lawsuit against me. Although I was initially defensive and angry, I came to realize my actions were wrong and unjustified. Regardless of my motives, it was improper for me to register the 2 plus 2 poker.com domain uh, which belongs to your company. It was wrong for me to profit using your trademark on a hosting site and later to make the domain available for sale. It was also wrong for me to challenge the merits of this lawsuit to tell the public that you had no reason to sue me after you obtained the domain. I realize now that it makes no difference how much money I may have made from this domain or when you ultimately obtained it. Cyber squatting is stealing, and the act of registration itself led to a legitimate lawsuit against me. Uh, my anger and frustration led to some negative and disparaging comments about you and 2 plus 2 during and after the case, for which I also apologize. Contrary to what I may have said or encouraged others to say, I don't believe you are a bully, and I don't believe this case is simply about a money grab. Neither I nor anyone else should have insulted you personally about this matter. I now realize this case was simply about protecting the 2 plus 2 brand and trademark, which is extremely valuable to the company and to you. Put simply, I am sorry for my actions and have learned a lesson. I will not register 2 plus 2 related domains or take any harmful action against 2 plus 2 in the future. I will also not insult or disparage you or your company in the future. I hope we can put this entire matter behind us and remain cordial moving forward. So I, I think what's really happened here is Mason got his money and uh, Dutch just won a bracelet and Dutch has a lot of positive reaction to his book. I guess it's thought of as being a pretty good book. So Dutch is kind of riding on a high at the moment between winning the bracelet and his book being well-received and people having some sympathy for him. And he doesn't want to come off as a douche anymore. He He wants to come across as a likable character and he's erasing one of the obstacles to that. The big obstacle really is the poker spot thing. If he could pay people back for poker spot, then I'll give a thumbs up to Dutch Boyd. But uh, as Mason himself said, we'll see what happens. Well, that's it for tonight. Um, I, I I heard a panting bad guy. I kind of want to hear what ends up happening, but it's been five minutes. He hasn't called me back, and I don't know what I'll get you your seventy-five hundred dollars back from Choice Center means, but uh, <laughs> I can't see how he's going to do that. Nor I, I hope he's not going to do anything that I wouldn't approve of to quote get it back. I mean, we lost the seventy-five hundred dollars fair and square. I don't think he'll be talking anyone out of it, and uh, I'm not asking for the $7,500 to be forgiven, just as I would expect Negreanu to pay me if uh, he lost the bet to us. And I wouldn't let him worm out of it. So I don't expect him to let us worm out of it. So 
Yes, it's a cliffhanger to end the show. Hollywood would be proud. Not Hollywood Dave, but Hollywood. And we'll play our usual end song. And if bad guy calls back, I'll quickly take his call. So some of you might be wondering about next week. Next week I'm playing the main event. I know I didn't get a chance to talk much about that, but it'll be more interesting to hear me talk about it after I started playing rather than before. Not much to say about it before. We have our normal schedule for the next radio show, July 8th. It should be an off day for me. At least I think it will be no matter what I do at the main event. So, uh... We'll be doing the July 8th show from Las Vegas after I've played day one of the main event. Maybe I'll still be in. Maybe I won't. About 60% of the people survive, so I hope I'm part of that 60. And it should be at our normal time, 6.30 p.m. And it may be before the next day when I play, so I may not be able to go too late, but we will have a show. We should be on a normal schedule for the show all the way through the month of July. There should be five shows in the month of July, this being the first, on the first. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Warm Deck for appearing on the show and telling his stories. Good luck to Brandon Drexel Gerson, who is running deep in the 3K Omaha High Low. And uh, I apologize if I couldn't take a call. I saw a few calls came in during the show. I uh, didn't have a chance to take those. A few texts we got here from the 954 area code. Um, and for some reason, this didn't come through right. This program's terrible. For the 901 area code. Hydra, a big fan of the show in Memphis, Tennessee. I listen to the podcast every Tuesday. I listen to even while, while on vacation in Nicaragua. Anyway, I've been playing online since 1998 as Limit Hold'em player. I bet we played 1020 back in True Poker on 2001. We probably did. I want to know who this guy is. Uh, keep up the good work, and best of luck to you to the main. Thank you very much, Mr. North Carolina. And tell me who you were on True Poker. I remember everyone from there. Good night. Shalom. See you next week after the main.